Salvador Perez at the plate. Perez looking for his first hit of the night. He's 0 for 5. The winning run is at second. Now looking for a two-out hit. After having lived a certainly blessed life, I'm sure somewhere when this podcast goes up and Derek Jeter downloads it, he's going to be pissed that the Royals stole his spot there. Because all week I was planning oh, on yeah, you yeah. Know, playing Jeter's walk-off hit as the highlight this week, and he got bumped by Perez and the Royals. And I'm sure when he listens, he's going to be pissed. I think so. I think you're probably right. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 27 of the Sportscasters. It's October 1st, 2014 as we record, and here's what we have, what we could have, what it's looking like at 622 on Wednesday. We kind of had this situation last week as well where things are sort of happening sort of fluently, and we might have this guest, we might have that guest. Same situation here. So this is what we got. This morning, I recorded a 27-minute or so long interview with Mike Tirico. Uh, we're really excited to have Mike on for the third time now. It's always great when we get the big guests one time, but it's even better when they come back because it makes it feel like, well, we must have used that time with them well. That sure. They're willing yeah. to do it again. Uh, Mike Tirico is going to be in for his third time. Tomorrow morning, I'm, which will be Thursday morning, I'm going to record an interview with our OG Jeff Passan, and Jeff and I decided that tomorrow would make more sense to do it because both of the wildcard games would be over and we could talk about a complete set of DS series as opposed to talking today and being like, well, if the Pirates win tonight, it will go this way. Or if they don't, that seems silly. So we're going to record that tomorrow. So we know we have those for sure. And we're going to do three things in a minute. We have a new book club. We'll talk about book club. And then we'll, we'll end with our picks, uh, which I can tell why we stopped them based on the results of the first few weeks. But uh, we're also going to record a five-on fantasy segment, which may be in this podcast. And it will be there if James Florentine is on, and it won't be if James Florentine isn't on. So basically, we're out to Florentine. Uh, He's playing some shows in the Rochester area this weekend. So I use that as a way to pitch him possibly coming on. He said he'd love to come on, uh, but his emails are very, very short. Uh, <laughs> the first one actually was, yes, let's do it. That yeah. was the email. So, which of course does not include, you know, when or for how long or a contact or anything like that. I'm not sure I would expect anything differently from him, like knowing his comic personality. and. So from where I sit right now, I guess I would say, I think James Florentine's going to be on this episode. But if he's not, I'm pretty sure he'll probably be on next episode. Okay. But Don and I obviously have our time together tonight, so we need something to go there if we have a third interview. So, oh, as we talk, Florentine says, you ready? This is exciting, huh? Okay. 
Tomorrow at noon works for me. Perfect. Let me have a number to call in. Perfect. So James Florentine will be on this podcast. So this is what we have then. We have three things. Right. Tariko, Book Club, Passin', Five on Fantasy, Florentine Picks. There you go. Let's do it. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever. (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right, three things. We're going to get started the way we usually have been doing this lately with what's going on in the NFL. And I would say there's two really big things. And the first one is in Buffalo. Uh, the Bills made the decision this week to bench EJ Manuel in favor of Kyle Orton. Yeah. And I'm going to let you handle this, Don. And I'll react to you. This is your team and your story. So you lay it out for us. Um, I think the way I've been picking the Bills this year, right or wrong, has been like with the Houston game, which we'll find out how wrong I got that one. They have to win now. They, I think this this wasn't their plan for sure. They wanted Manuel to be good. Uh, they wanted him to get the, probably the full season to see what they had in him, and then maybe next year go into the offseason, decide what you have. That said, he's been fairly bad. His numbers fantasy-wise have been okay. Like if you're a fantasy player and for whatever reason you're starting EJ Manuel, you're in some sort of super deep league or AFC Two quarterback league, league sure. Maybe, yeah. He hasn't been terrible. Um, there are some sort of advanced statistics that suggest that he hasn't been very good. His completion percentage for passes that travel further than something like 10 yards on the field I think was dead last of any quarterbacks that qualified. And uh, the eyeball test just shows he hasn't been very accurate. I blame some of the Houston. I blame a large part of the Houston loss on the coaching. I think they played right into the strengths uh, of the Houston defense, and they got Manuel killed all day instead of just running the ball. And Watt changed the game. Yeah. Uh, that said, I don't know what to expect from this move, but I think if they get just above average or even like closer to average quarterback play, I, middle of the road, just be middle of the road, and I, I think the Bills will be pretty good, especially considering how bad the AFC East is. That's probably the worst division in football right now. I would just say that I think that this would have never happened if the owner wasn't changing basically right now. No, probably not. But I I think you could also say that the, the Watkins trade probably doesn't happen either because uh, that's a win-now move as well. And maybe you'd even say, well, I guess they didn't know about. I was going to say that maybe Manuel doesn't even get picked where he gets picked, if that, but they wouldn't have known about the ownership thing. So, Yeah, I mean, this is clearly – Something, whether it's ownership or maybe the landscape of the division, changed, thus making them decide to change their plan. This clearly wasn't their plan. I saw suggested somewhere online that, uh, and this is from someone on Twitter, not just a follower, like a beat reporter or somebody. I'd give him credit if I can remember who it was that said something along the lines of, there may have been rumblings of an issue in the room. Like, you don't want your team to be divided. Splitting up a little bit. Right, so maybe the Bills got ahead of it a little bit. And I'm fine with it. I don't think Manuel would have much of an argument as to why he deserves to keep the job right now. But 
uh, they've been okay. He's he's been just okay, and some advanced stats suggest he's been much worse than okay. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know. It's a tough it's a tough thing to switch a quarterback at this point. Obviously, they would have never done this two weeks ago when they were two and zero. Sure, right. So, and, and that I, was a short leash. I've for said. Sure. I think I even said on this podcast that. Uh, Oh, I just my train of thought got derailed. Oh, the biggest mistake Doug Whaley has made. I don't even think it's necessarily drafting manual. It's coming into this season with Tool and uh, Thad Lewis as your only backup quarterback. To say that we're, you're okay with those backups, and then to go out and sign Kyle Orton midway or without him ever even getting to step into a preseason game. That's the worst thing that Doug uh, Doug Whaley has done. Yeah, I mean there was no one in camp to push. Manual, no. if he needed that, and the whole blow up about the Bills infighting between Marone and Whaley supposedly revolved around Orton being signed. And I mean, if that's the case, if Manuel can't handle being pushed, then that's a problem too. But I, I, I think maybe part of the problem was the coach knows. Look, we're going into the season with a quarterback who's played ten games, and if you bring someone who's established, who has a body of work out there. The second this quarterback has growing pains that we expect, sure. there's going to be, hey, the grass is green or somewhere else attitude from the fan base. And we saw it real quickly here. Right, especially in Buffalo, too, where you've got, where you've had nobody since, I guess, Bledsoe. So, Doug Flutie is the only quarterback with a winning record since Jim Kelly left. Yeah, I believe it. So it's been grim. Uh, it's been equally grim, obviously, in Oakland. Uh, they made the decision to fire their coach after their loss on Sunday. It was a really bizarre thing where there was an AP writer who reported it. Then they retracted, then retracted, it, retracted right. it, and then it did happen. So I don't know what happened there. But Dennis Allen is out as coach of the Raiders. I don't know who would want this job. Uh, obviously, there's already plenty of rumors about maybe Gruden getting lured out. That's not going to happen. I asked Tariko about it almost because I felt like, geez, I'm forced to. Sure. Because if I don't mention this, I'm going to be look like a clown a little bit. Even though I didn't want to because I knew what he was going to say. But uh, it's not going to happen, at least. I mean, certainly not now. Uh, the former Dolphins coach, uh, Sperano, will take over. And uh, I don't know. that. If you, could, if you could be any team, that would be your last pick, right? What's the cliche? There's only 32 of these jobs. So, I mean, if, if you're saying if I could be a fan of any team, if you could just be any team, like that wouldn't that be yeah. the last one you'd want to be, right? I mean, it's a bad stadium. It's questionable ownership. There's sure. not much talent. Yeah, I guess it'd probably be them or Jacksonville. But in both cases, you're thinking, well, we both got shiny new quarterbacks. So right. I guess you do have that there. I mean. A lot of people might say Buffalo right now, and I've said on the podcast many times how much I believe in their talent other than Manuel. And it's not Buffalo anymore, not with this new owner. Well, sure, and all right. That. No, absolutely not. It's, they but, definitely wouldn't be dead last. Right, but we don't have. I mean, Kyle Orton coming in isn't the same uh, excitement as. I'd be more excited to be a fan of. I always want to say the wrong one. It's not David Carr. That was the old car. Right, this is Derek. Derek Carr. I'd be more excited to watch Derek Carr for the rest of the year than I would to watch Kyle Orton, but I mean, unfortunately, there's twenty or ten other guys on the offense. So, yeah, that's 
that's not an attractive job. I, I don't I don't understand the move, I guess, in general. What did this guy do that was so bad? What was expected of the Raiders in those four games that was so bad? And what is going to change now? Can you can you have a coach in that completely changes the philosophy at this point of the season? I mean, I think when you make a move like this, it's just the thought that the coach has lost the team. Sure. The players aren't playing for this guy anymore. That there's more effort or ability to be brought out of the guys that you have. And the person who would think that is the GM who, who picked the guys that... Well, sure, right. You know, yeah. so... You know, uh, maybe you know GMs that are nervous about their job often do this to coaches. Right, it's a bad situation in Oakland. They're going to move on from Dennis Allen, who is from who worked in New Orleans for a few years. He's a defensive guy. I'm sure the Saints would love to have him back right now. That's probably not going to happen right this second. But Dennis Allen will find work, and in the end, he'll probably be glad he's not there anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another thing that happened, I think today, the FCC announced that they lifted their blackout rules for sports, right. which I guess doesn't mean anything. No. Uh, a bit of the tearing down the fourth wall here. A lot of this stuff we we, we discussed talked already. about yeah. over dinner, so <laughs> we're going to pretend this is fresh. But no, I think it means nothing is my understanding because as a fan, I hear that news too and get excited, but then everything you read is just like... Yeah, the NFL is still going to enforce their rule, and I think the way they would do it is they're going to make the networks do it. And if the networks don't do it, then the NFL is going to threaten probably to go to cable or something. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it does anything. And just sort of in related news, we also saw this at dinner, that DirecTV and the NFL have announced an eight-year extension to their deal it's worth $1.2 billion annually for the Sunday ticket rights. Sure. and That's huge money. Right. and that That's news, job security for Goodell. That news piggybacking off the news we just read before just shows that how stupid the blackout rule is. They don't need people in the, those buildings could sell zero tickets, and you can still pay every concessions person, every ticket taker, and you would still be raking in money. You're not losing money because only... 15 or only 50,000 people show up in your building instead of 80 or 65 or whatever. You're not losing anything. So it's ridiculous that the NFL has to have this blackout rule. Uh, One other thing I wanted to definitely mention, uh, the celebration rules in the league for touchdowns are brutal. Yeah. And they went really wrong this weekend when on Sunday night football or Monday night football, Abdullah for Kansas City was flagged. He wasn't flagged for praying. He was flagged for, for going, going to, to the, the ground, ground. Right. right? But he was praying. Uh, I, I didn't know there there was a differentiation there. You're allowed to what? Can you do, uh, not to bring his name into a, a conversation not necessarily, but like, can you do the Tebow thing, go to one knee? Yeah, I think you can. That's okay. So that's probably why this would be okay, I too? I think what you can't do is like jump onto the ground and do the worm. Sure, right. But so I believe I think I, that's the I think I saw this play. He kind of slid on his knees, right? And yeah. then he went and kissed the like pray. I think I could see why the ref threw the flag based yeah, on the rules. Yeah, I don't blame the ref necessarily. But the NFL is sort of backtracked saying, "Look at that shouldn't have been a flag. We're sorry." They're right about part of that. It shouldn't have been a flag, nor should any of some of this nonsense. No, somebody else just got called for it too. Uh there was another one this week. It was weekend. in the Bills game, I believe. Was it Hopkins then, yeah. maybe? Yeah, he he spiked the ball or something. And then he went to the ground, too, I'm pretty down. sure. Yeah. yeah, and it's just an automatic penalty. So. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, I Stupid think... Stupid automatic penalty. Yeah, focusing on some of the things that have plagued this league this month, if they were as good at 
patrolling those things as they are touchdown celebrations. You, you know what the greatest evidence Probably is of better. it? I can't think of the commercial. Is it Geico? The Icky Woods Geico commercial makes me laugh every time I see it. And that's just, he had to do that on the sideline because they told him he couldn't right, dance yeah. in the end zone anymore. And that commercial, it, what is he talking about? Like Getting meat? Getting meat, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it makes me laugh and smile, and the NFL won't have any of that. So, All right, second thing this week. It's October. We said that off the top, which means baseball playoffs. The first game of the baseball playoffs was last night, Kansas City. Beat Oakland 9-8 in 12 innings. I watched a lot of the game. I watched everything from about the 7th inning rally the Royals had on. And I had seen more of it before. It was a fantastic baseball game. Made you remember how great baseball can be when it's a really important game. And all the drama and the individual pitches and at-bats and the strategies of the game. It was a fantastic game. A great way to start the playoffs. Pittsburgh and San Francisco will play the second wild card game. Tonight, and then tomorrow, uh, we'll talk with Jeff Passan from Yahoo Sports about uh, the division series. I want to ask you, Don, what I always ask you. <laughs> I was waiting for that. Yeah, is uh, so, baseball playoffs. Got a wife nine months pregnant, got a daughter already, football season. How much of this are you going to see? You know what? Uh, I was going to defend myself a little bit here. When... I was I was at home last night and I was watching something I can't remember what, but I think it was like a little inappropriate for the two year old. So, Gotham. Even, yeah, I don't remember what it was. Some show. Something. Right. And uh, so she came into the room. Pornography. And I figured, no, it no, wasn't it wasn't. that. Okay. I figured I'll just put something on that I won't have to stare at and pay attention to. Like a, I don't need a story. So I flipped the baseball game on, and. I go about playing with Molly, whatever. And then the wife comes in the room. She's like, why are you watching baseball? <laughs> so that was pretty much the end of that. I'm like, well, it's the playoffs. And she's like, and we changed it to something else. So I probably saw like Can I suggest pitches. an answer for that next time? What's that? You should say, well, Michelle, <laughs> I am the co-host of yeah, a Steve's very gonna popular ask me a sports <laughs> podcast. And it would be nice occasionally to know what happens in sports other than what I read the next morning. Right. Yeah. So that would be a good answer in the future. But, you know, the reality is these games can be long. That one was five hours. And it was five hours because it was 12 innings. Uh, and they start late and they end late, and that stinks. But the nice thing about the playoffs, especially in the DS round, is there's usually at least two games a day. Uh, what is it going to be? Uh, Thursday, for example. I know it's my East Coast bias speaking, but is it it's baseball or basketball that has does a really bad job of – Getting the games on when anybody will see them in the East Coast. Oh, basketball for sure. It's basketball. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but uh, tomorrow or Thursday, when you're listening to this, there's a 537 playoff game. Oh, perfect. So that's great. You know, there's also a 907 game, but in fairness, it's in California. I would so. I would uh, put the odds of me watching a complete game end to end at about zero, but I would guess that because it's the playoffs, I will probably see an inning or two here or there. Good. Like, we need I, that. I will flip it on. And especially at the end, I can probably get her to watch if it's close at the end of a game. And I did show Molly a baseball dime the other day. We ran around the bases, so she at least knows what that is. Real quick, going back to the first thing. I didn't see this story today. Uh, it's right now the top story on our NFL. And I guess it's a, it's a clip taken from 101 ESPN Radio that says there's a strong belief that the Rams will announce relocation to L.A. after Super Bowl 
XLIX, which is what, 49? So, I guess that sounds like something that may be rumored, but I mean, ESPN is usually fairly careful about that. St- I mean, unless it was like Stephen A. Smith or uh, someone along that line that said it just to be inflammatory, but yeah, I just thought I'd mention that. I, I don't know that that's a big shock. Or maybe yeah. it is. I think that when the possibility of teams moving to LA comes up, certainly the Rams are one of the teams mentioned. discussion, yeah. So, well, that'll be interesting. The top comments on that post, by the way, is <laughs> you'll like this. Uh, this is definitely Sam Bradford's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Poor guy. Yeah, Sam, he hasn't done much right there. (laughs) We'll talk more about the baseball playoffs with Jeff Passan later in the show. Uh, We talked about a few things for the third last thing, one of them being Michael Phelps being drunk. We didn't feel like getting into that. Instead, we'll talk about what is going to be a great weekend for college football. It was not last weekend. It was a brutal weekend for college football. Some of the games turned out to be decent. But the matchups weren't great. This week, there's a ton of matchups featuring ranked teams. Oklahoma, number four, against number 25, TCU. Number three, Alabama, versus number 11, Ole Miss. Number five, Auburn, versus number 15, LSU. Number eight, Texas A&M, versus number 12, Mississippi State. Uh, Number nine, Notre Dame, against number 14, Stanford. Uh, Number 10, Michigan State, versus number 19, Nebraska. And uh, that's it for ranked versus ranked. But wow, it's usually not that many. Yeah, no kidding. That's a that's a great day. And, and this isn't like rivalry weekend or anything. So. No, and I mean it starts right at noon too with Texas A and M Mississippi State. Uh, there's some good games in the three thirty hour, and then there's some night games. It's a great Saturday to not go to the pumpkin farm. You should have done that last week. That's exactly where I think I'll be this Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, we're going to swim lessons and then the pumpkin farm. But we'll be back by, what's the earliest game? I'll probably be back by 3.30. Yeah, so you can catch some of the uh, Alabama Alabama Ole Miss Miss game on CBS. Uh, That's your usual college football stop. CBS? CBS for some SEC action at 3.30 on a Saturday. Sure. Yeah. So, great weekend for college football. Uh, we'll have a really interesting look at the title picture after this. One other interesting thing I wanted to say is that in the coaches poll, Alabama was jumped. Alabama jumped Florida State for number one. Hmm. So I think rightfully so. Yeah. Florida State has struggled. Obviously they had the game without Jameis that they barely won. And then they needed a pretty big comeback to beat NC State last week. But I think what really needs to happen is let's not have a poll till about now. Yeah, the preseason polls right, and stuff, because, that's all stupid. Right, you know, let's – because really it's just like Florida State was only number one because they said before the games played they were. But well, they were number one last year, right? Right, yeah, they won the national championship sure, right. and uh, the voters decided they had the best chance to repeat, obviously with the Heisman Trophy winner coming back. But – uh what is know. what Could is we, ESPN's numbers? Are they their own rankings or what rankings do they show next to the teams here? Uh maybe AP uh okay. There obviously there's several choices. Alabama's certainly going to get a chance to prove it. They've got a tough schedule the rest of the way out. Yeah, it's always tough in the SEC. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it looks like the AP poll is what they're showing. Oh, okay, gotcha. Cuz uh the AP top 5 is Florida State 1. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Oregon, two. I see Alabama, three. And Oklahoma, four. Auburn, five. 
USA Today has Alabama, Florida State, Oklahoma, Oregon, Auburn. Different. USA Today is the coaches. Gotcha. So different. But uh, yeah, good week end of college football. And I actually had looked ahead and saw that and said, well, it'll be a good weekend the following week to get someone in to see where we're at with all that. So we'll get Wolken in yeah. or Mandel or one of our college guys, whatever, mm-hmm. to do that. All right. That's it for three things. Uh, like we said, it's all sorted out now. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Mike Tirico. We'll do a book club update. Then we'll do Jeff Passan, Five on Fantasy, and then pick four. Our next guest is from Ann Arbor, Michigan, and is a graduate of Syracuse University. In 1991, he joined ESPN as a Sports Center anchor. Since joining ESPN, he has covered college football and basketball, the NBA, PGA Golf, and just spent his summer in Brazil covering the World Cup. He also does play-by-play for Monday Night Football, and he's making his third appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very talented Mike Tirico. How's it going today, Mr. Tirico? It's uh, good to talk to you. How are you? Really good. Uh, had a great summer watching you. You were everywhere this summer. It's a busy summer. It was a lot of fun. It's nice to uh, turn the calendar to October here and get set later this month to get started on uh, the NBA. I've had just NFL here for a month. It's been almost boring. <laughs> I, I, I say that kiddingly, but I enjoy the variety and the summer was a blast for sure. Well, I want to ask you a little bit about the summer before we talk about the NFL and, and a guy who's covered so many huge events all over the world, really. Uh, how did covering the World Cup and maybe covering it specifically in Brazil, where did that match up? Where did it rank? Tell us a little something about what it was like. Oh, it was great. It was uh, one of those thrills. You know, you check into a hotel for 42 nights, which uh, doesn't sound like it's going to be a good experience, but it turned out to be great in major part because of the people who we worked with. Uh, our bosses put together an extraordinary group of talented, soccer, passionate, and global commentators. And it was just as easy for uh, Bob Lee and I and Lindsay Hipgrave, who also worked with us, to navigate through everyone's expertise, their passions, their loyalties, and hopefully deliver back to America what was something representative of how good the event was over there in Brazil. You know, obviously ESPN can be very polarizing, and uh, there's sites like Deadspin, there's Richard Deutsch, there's all these people who often have a lot of opinions on ESPN. I don't know if I can remember an event that ESPN covered that was almost universally regarded as a really great example of ESPN pooling all of its resources, whether it be money or talents or uh, wealth and channels and airtime, to really just kill it on an event. I mean, were you surprised uh, at how well everything was received? Uh, Not not necessarily. I I think if you look at the Heisman Trophy, outside the lines, uh, the nightly sports center show where highlights are going on, and especially our coverage of games and events, it rarely gets criticized. You may have a problem with an announcer uh, from a personal preference standpoint, but if you really take a step back and look at our coverage of Monday Night Football, coverage of college football, our coverage of the NBA, our coverage of college basketball, covering the actual sports 
meets with a lot of not just respect, but also uh, set the standard in the industry. So I, I won't say I was surprised at that. Perhaps for studio programming, which really is driven a lot by opinion, there's a lot more room for criticism. And uh, with this, there was a lot of honest opinions from people, but it represented almost everyone who had a little bit of skin in the game when it came to the World Cup. It represented the nations involved, including the USA. So hopefully what that did was uh, show everyone that uh, we can take huge events and do them in a smart, intelligent way that uh, the fans feel like they come away learning more. Uh, you know, I, I, um, I always hear folks complain about ESPN in general, but they do come back because the product at the end of the day from some of the things I mentioned, really does uh, serve sports fans and is put on by sports fans. I think we had a lot of people who love soccer on that project, and hopefully that's what uh, came through to everybody on TV back home here in the States. You know, I was wondering, how aware were you in Brazil just how huge this was going over Mm -hmm. in the United Mm -hmm. States in terms of the events and people getting together on their rooftops and bars and beaches and watching this thing right. and just how how big the event was here this time around i, I don't think eight years ago uh we would have had a sense of that four years ago when we were in south africa we had a bit of a sense of the coverage and how it was being received and this year especially i think as social media has grown it gives everybody a good idea and a good picture for what people are seeing and what they're feeling about any event at any moment. And I think that we had a lot of that. So you could tell immediately there were gatherings in places. You'd get real-time pictures of what was going on back in the U.S. So I think all of that gave us a good sense of how well the World Cup was received. And I know personally I have a couple of children who were involved in playing travel soccer. So I know that from their friends and their teammates and their families, the anticipation going in was very high. And then as we went through, people watching it and their reaction to it was also uh, pretty special. We talked a little bit last year when you were on about uh, the ever-changing world of, of rights and, and who's going to air these things, and, and that was the last time for now that, that ESPN will cover the World Cup, and when you were walking away, checking out of that hotel after 40 days and, and flying back, were you thinking, you know, man, I, that really it really stinks that we're not going to get to do that again? Or, or I mean, how do you feel about that being sort of the the last one for now, at least. Good point. It's all short-term in this business. It's something that, uh, for me personally, I know uh, was disappointing to walk away from. But you never know as times change, careers change, opportunities change. You never know when you're going to come across any event again. Uh, it's certainly something I'd love to cover at some point in my career. Uh, as I continue on, it was uh, a treat. But you know that, much like teams, when you walk away from something like this, you're never going to have that group back together in that place. And while we had a lot of the same folks who were with us in South Africa, it was still a unique and special experience in Brazil. And I think uh, the quality of the end of the tournament and the desire to do a great job on the finals and the semifinals kind of pushed to the side just a little bit that anxiety of, man, this would be uh, great if we were coming back to Russia in 2018 to do this, or Qatar if it ever ends up there <laughs> in 2026. So, disappointing for sure, but it's just part of it, as we say, with more people involved in the media business, 
there are going to be more things that are around for people to uh, have the rights to, and that's one of them. Well, of course, with the World Cup ending, I know you did a little golf there for a second and then came back and time to focus on the NFL. And it's been a weird, weird time for the league. And as someone who, cover, hmm. as someone who covers it, I wonder, was there, has, has there ever been a point in this really difficult couple weeks for the league where, where you sat back and thought, you know, maybe professionally this isn't what I want to be a part of this league. Does anything like that ever creep in, or or is it more is it more a feeling like you know it's too bad because people don't realize that all this news is really just a few guys of what is a really great league filled with a bunch of guys, or is it maybe neither of those? Well, it, it, it's somewhere in the middle. You certainly don't like the things that have happened to the league, and you hope that people continue to look at the product that you do in a in a positive light. And there's a reality. There are some people who uh, have done some terrible things that have really put a lot of good folks in a bad light. So that's uh, on the top of the list. And then secondly, I think also significantly for us as broadcasters, we get to meet a lot of the people involved, and there are a ton of great people in the league. That sounds very cliche, but I, I think most of the people we end up visiting with, and they don't have criminal records. They do a lot of good things in their communities. They're nice people. They treat us in a first-class manner. So I hold them in high regard. I have a great deal of respect for them. And I feel I feel like their players' union has not done a good job in uh, helping to elevate the people who do well by, you know, being a little more, I'd say, proper in how they defended the people who made mistakes. You have to defend the guys who get in trouble. That's part of being a union. They're union members. But I do think when you pull away from it in the bigger picture, the union didn't do a good job in defending the people who are uh, the good standing part of this union. So in general, my feeling, uh, I'm I'm disappointed for the league, disappointed that some of the stuff that's been swept under the rug with the league was not used to better judgment and thus getting us in places where we don't have these issues going forward. You know, well, I don't want. I don't, I don't walk away, Steve, and say that man. The National Football League is this terrible place with awful people, and I don't want to be associated with it because I do know a lot of the good people personally, and I have respect for how they go about their business. That's very fair. You know, I was wondering at the end of that that really bad week, I guess two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about yourself and uh, Mr. Gruden and the producers of Monday Night Football. What kind of discussion do you guys have as you prepare to go on the air? I know that the pregame show is going to handle a lot of it. Anyway, but what kind of discussions do you guys have about balance for the broadcast, and and what part of of you, your opinion on what has went down needs to be exposed, and and to what level do you decide? Well, maybe we should just focus on football. What, what were the conversations like that week? Uh, I, won't, I won't bore you with uh, all the specific conversations, but we all have bosses. They weigh in. They give their opinions. We're uh, lucky enough to give our opinions and uh, have our voices heard as well within our conversations, you know, it, it all depends on the game and who's playing. If you're involved in a game that is directly impacted by the Ray Rice story, the Adrian Peterson story, uh, McDonald in, uh, in San Francisco, Greg Hardy in Carolina, then I think it's a, a no-brainer to have that as part of the conversation within the broadcast. If you're not, and you have programming that's been two hours before, an hour or so afterwards, in addition to the whole week, where they've been having this discussion, I don't necessarily know that you go there in great detail. Uh, there's a comment, there's something that's happening in a timely manner within the 
six or eight hour window before you go on, then I think you have to react to the news, which we did uh, when the Ray Rice video came out on that Monday before our first game. But you cannot have an intelligent conversation about social issues affecting football players in the middle of a football game. Second and five. Here's a 28-yard play. Crowd's going wild. If that's in front of you, how do you continue a conversation on something that serious and that important? It's just not appropriate. It just doesn't fit. Uh, now, they certainly have a lot of people in the studio. They could always ask any of us to be part of the studio conversations. But I, what I've heard from fans over and over and over is that within the context of a game, don't get too far away from the game unless it's a blowout. Uh, we are watching the, the game to watch the playing of the game down by down. Uh, baseball might be the only game that really lends itself to more of that conversation than basketball next because there's so many points scored, so many pitches in baseball. Football, you don't know if the next play is going to be the touchdown that wins the game or not. So uh, all has to find its proper place. And thankfully we're in a world now with so many pregame shows and postgame shows that there's a lot of real estate to cover those issues uh, in, a, I think, a more appropriate form. One last thing in this, and I, I want to move on to, to a couple other things before I let you go. You know, we live in a time where opinions can be very dangerous, and, and even the opinions of someone, as we've seen this summer, as respected and revered uh, in, in discussing these social issues like, like Tony Dungy, uh, you, you're not necessarily immune to, to, to getting some backlash from your opinion. When you see something like that happen uh, to Mr. Dungy, does it make you say, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I'm going to... I'm gonna I'm gonna step back a little bit when it comes to sharing my opinions on these things, or you know what? Maybe if the question comes, I I might decide to not answer quite the same. Uh, does does it change you at all uh, when you see something like that, or or, or knowing and being aware of the way uh, opinions can be can be twisted and really hammered in social media and things like that? I, I think the number one thing is you have to have your facts straight on something, and if you have a strong enough opinion that's worth sharing, if it's something that you have some expertise in then I think you share it. I think a lot of folks uh, proclaim themselves as experts and voice opinions that really don't have any relevance or that, that matter. Uh, you know, I, I hear people in studios making comments on games or players, and they haven't studied videotape, haven't seen, haven't watched. I've learned that being around Coach Gruden, that uh, you can think you have an idea, but you really don't. You know, until you study something, you, you don't have as good a sense as you think you do about it. And, in these issues, it's a lot easier to have an opinion. I think our society right now is so opinion-driven uh, that we don't pay attention to facts, and we just want to hear the strong opinion, whether it's right or wrong. Uh, and then people respond back in kind with you know, their you know, sometimes very legitimate responses. Sometimes they're baseless responses. Sometimes they just do it to get a response. So I, I think you weigh all that. If it's something that I know I've got some expertise in or, or some... Uh, full understanding of the issue, and I've got an opinion on it, like the nickname for the Washington Redskins, I'm glad to share that. It's not popular. I don't find it something that uh, everybody agrees with me. I get a lot of criticism for the way I'm, I've approached, decided to approach that, and that's okay. I'm comfortable with it. If it's another issue that I don't know anything about, then I'll say I really, I really am not the right person to answer that question right now. Uh, my opinion isn't really relevant. I don't have enough experience in that case. And that's okay. We live in a society where everybody thinks they need to say, in my opinion, that they know the answer. That's a lot of what bases, the basis is for sports talk radio. 
it's opinion. It's not fact. And I, I've found over time, that's why I think I've gravitated more to broadcasting games and working in the studio. I really like the fact-based part of the equation, not the uh, strong opinions, uh, say the outlandish things so it gets uh, regurgitated by other people and you become an opinion shaper one way or the other. It's just my personal approach to it right now. You know, you mentioned the Redskins thing, and that's just something that just builds mm-hmm. and builds and builds all the time. Uh, there's a, was some talk, I think, yesterday about the possibility that this could be v- viewed as a, an obscene word in the eyes of the FCC. I, I don't know right. how far that will go. And uh, there was even something, I think, last year where you had taken some heat from some people for possibly omitting the word. I don't even know if heat's the right word. Right. You had said it was just, you know, it wasn't anything political. Um, has, it wasn't. Yeah. Right. Have your views changed on this at all, or, or do you feel the same way, or where do you go forward with this? It's so complicated, mm-hmm. and it would be definitely an example of one of those times where I feel like I'm certainly not the, the right person <laughs> to speak on it. So I, I've taken a pretty neutral approach and yeah. on this show, but where do you feel about all this? I think the way it comes out, my approach would seem to folks like I'm straddling the fence. Here's honestly where, I, where I've come down on it. I will use the term during the broadcast, but I am trying to use it a lot less than I would have in other in other years before. I've become more educated on the subject. I've heard the folks who have complained about it, who have uh, the feeling that the people they know or people who are Native Americans are personally offended by the term uh, as a racial slur in their mind, and I have great respect for that. Now, we also have some other realities we're trying to balance here. You're working with other people on the show who have a variety of different opinions. You also have, especially the game that we broadcast uh, on, on Monday night against Seattle, we have a game in Washington, which means the word Redskins is sitting there in the end zone as plain as day. Right. So by me not saying it, but you seeing it with your own eyes, seeing it on the scoreboard, seeing the Redskins logo at midfield, and seeing it on all of their jerseys, the helmets, by me omitting saying it, does that make it right or does that make it wrong? I think we're there to cover an event. I've shared my opinion, but by the same token, I don't want to be using this forum to make a stand. People are, by and large, coming to watch a football game. The people who are coming to get their uh, their social conscience checked or not checked by the use of the term, uh, that's I think that's a very small part of the audience. Most folks are coming to watch a football game. They have their opinions on it. I've said I, I think it's time that they look very seriously at, that, at this issue. They, an answer to the people who are offended. And if they feel like there is, I don't mean one or two people, I mean if there's a strong majority of folks, strong percentage, not majority, excuse me, that feel they are personally offended by the use of the term Redskins and the nickname for the Washington football team, then it would be who, in my opinion, Dan Snyder takes steps to change it. That's my opinion. Uh, I know other people don't share that. That's fine. And I just try to play it to the complete audience. I'm not trying to appeal to one audience or appeal to another audience by saying it or not saying it. I'm just trying to get as full a spectrum of the folks out there satisfied by it. I just think personally, the less I say it, the better I feel about it. And... Uh, I'm not going to try to make a political statement out of this whole deal. The sportscasters are here with Mike Tirico from ESPN, Monday Night Football. A few minutes left with him. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about uh, the Richard Sandemir article in the New York Times. Did you read that article? 
I read part of it. I did not get a chance to read the whole thing. It, had, it came out, I think, on Sunday, uh, and we had a game the next day. And usually we're in game prep. You're doing a whole bunch of stuff that's more important than stopping to read a, a, a critical article on, uh, on your broadcast. So I uh, did get to it later on in the week. So I read it in little bits and pieces. You know, I, it's not, I don't, the article itself, I, I thought, whatever, mostly it's some guy's opinion. I, I thought there was sort of a cheap shot at you at the end about, Something that was pretty, mm-hmm. pretty semantic, but uh, I might. Yeah, uh, hey, I, he, he, he mentioned that I made a mistake in calling the Jets the defending Super Bowl champs that first season of Monday night. I completely made a mistake. Keith Jackson and I uh, spoke on the phone. I got into a conversation about the Jets being the defending champs from the prior year, and it was the big thing to get the stud team, the Super Bowl champion Joe Namath, into that first Monday night game to try to give it some traction from the start knowing that they weren't the defending chance that they lost in the 69 season. And the subsequent season for Monday night, 1970, was its first. And I just completely made the mistake. And it was totally... And it, uh, it, Richard intimated that he's a Jets fan, and he was insulted by it. I had season tickets as a Jets fan, too. I, I grew up a little bit after Richard, but I'm a Jets fan, too. Uh, if, if that was the one item that he chose to pick out of the broadcast, and that's what critics do, if they want to pick the one item out of a broadcast and not say, here's the three and a half hours and here's the general feel for it, that's fine. That, that's their opinion. You know, I'm, I would love to work in a world where I had an editor who could look at my copy and correct it before it went to, <laughs> went to print. Right. But that's part, of the, that's part of the job we all chose doing this. So make a mistake. Say sorry. I made a mistake during the game the other day. I said uh, that Tom Brady and the Patriots trailed 28 to nothing in a game of San Francisco, they in fact trailed 31 to three. So when I realized what I had said before, I got a chance to look it up in the break. I came back later on and said, Hey, by the way, I gave the wrong score before I said 28. It was, they were down 28. It was 31 to three. It's fine. I can watch every broadcast of every broadcast. So we all make mistakes. And if Richard chose to take that one and make it uh, the part of my performance that he wanted to grade, that's his prerogative. That's, uh, that's what critics do. And, that's okay. I'll just continue to do my job the way I've done it over the years and do it to the best I can. You know, I think I read a quote from Al Michaels once in an interview where he did uh, kind of talking about this and how he's always searching for the perfect game and how Absolutely. there's times where he gets close and he says, and then he'll realize something happened like that, you know, saying 28 to nothing instead of maybe when you meant 28 down. Um, yeah. Yeah, it seems like just from hearing you kind of react to what I'm saying that that's something you share as a broadcaster, kind of always searching for that perfect game, but knowing that absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely. Dick, Dick Ember, just somebody in San Diego wrote a great article on the all-time phenomenal people, Dick Ember. It's the same kind of thing. Dick said, uh, you know, it's that quest for a perfect game. That's why we work so hard. And you can do it. You can do a, a just this is inside baseball for broadcasters. You can do a very safe broadcast and say very little. And say, oh, yeah, they, they were down a whole bunch to uh, Buffalo, and they were down a whole bunch to San Francisco. I try to give as much detail and fact in the broadcast. And invariably, with all the players moving, the people uh, around you in the different parts of the broadcast that you're trying to coordinate, you're going to make a couple of mistakes. That's okay. It's fine. That's, uh, I'd rather, I'd rather I remember an old baseball manager saying, there are errors of omission and errors of commission. Errors of omission, stuff you just leave out because you're not trying hard. And there are a bunch of broadcasters who make errors of omission because they just don't do the work. I think there are a lot of us who love and live for the small details, do the work, and we make error. if we make an error of commission, 
I'm all for that. That's okay. I'd rather rather screw up trying than uh, than have a clean show and just give you a very vanilla, generic, limited observation broadcast. Just the way I approach it, everybody approaches it differently. Most of the people now try to give you a lot of facts, like Joe and Jim Nance and Al, uh, Ian Eagle, Ken, uh, Kevin Burkhardt, Kenny Albert. Those guys, those my my peers who do the football, especially. I watch everybody's broadcast because you prepare for the next game by watching the last couple. Right. And guys are grinding away and working. they got a ton of detail, and I'm just really appreciative of, of where our, our profession's never been better in terms of play-by-play announcers. You may say that the old old school days were great because of radio and the Fred Barbers, the Mel Allens, the Bernie Harwells, the great storytellers, and they were phenomenal. But the business has changed. We have a lot of different elements and technical elements and producers with more toys to work with and analysts have many more observations and it's an analyst-driven business. And given all that, I just, as a student of this, I just love the way um, so many of the play-by-play guys and admire Dan Schulman, Mike Breen, my other colleagues who do this, Sean McDonough, how good they are at what they do. So I think it's the best time we've ever had for those of us who do this uh, for, the, for the broadcast of games. Last thing, and, and I'm just looking for your opinion here and your feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, as someone who sits next to him and, and has got to know him a bit over the last couple of years, do you think that this Raiders job being open and all, is, is it just rumor? Do you think this is anything that Gruden would consider seriously right now, or mm-hmm. do you think he's focused where he is? As opposed to when John was rumored for the Redskins job, the <laughs> Raiders job, many, before yep. the Rams job, uh, the Cowboys job when Jason Garrett was struggling. The Philadelphia job after Andy Reid. Do you want me to keep going on? I can. No, I get it. Um, John, no, no. John is a really good coach. John is super knowledgeable about football. John has a passion to coach. I've been quoted many times saying I think he will coach again at some point. I just don't know where and when that connection is going to be. Uh, he has a great passion for the Raiders, I'm sure. Uh, that That's a job that would appeal to him over time. But I also know that he's got a really good job right now, and he's damn good at it. Uh, he's as prepared and as dialed in on what's going to happen in a football game as anybody who broadcasts football right now. Uh, a lot of folks have opinions on John being, you know, someone who likes everything in a football game. That's a lazy observation. John is so honest about what's going on during the game uh, and sees it really clearly. I, I think he's excelled at this. I think he enjoys this. He's enjoyed this part of his life. You, folks can ask him what he thinks, but... Um, I know when he gets sick of me, he's got a great, great option, great alternative, because there are a whole bunch of NFL teams that would toss their coach uh, out the door if uh, they knew they could get John. And uh, I hope, hope that day doesn't come. But if it comes, it's been six unbelievable years of working with him. I guarantee this, uh, this Raider conversation will continue for the next two or three months. And uh, it'll either, like all the other conversations before, play out where John doesn't take any jobs and returns to us. And one day that conversation will probably lead to John getting back in football, and that'll be great. But I, it's not a – when a job comes open, I don't call John, like, hey, hey, you going to take this job? Do you want this job? I, our friendship's a little bit uh, a little stronger than that and based on a lot more than that. So, hey, somebody, somebody gets to hire him, they'll have a hell of a coach. While they don't, we've got a hell of an analyst to work with, and I'm really uh, proud to share the Monday Night Booth with uh, Coach Gruden. All right, that's it. We're out of time. Mike Trico is on Twitter. He's at Mike Trico there. Monday Night Football. Uh, they're going to be back in the playoffs this year. I'm excited for that. 
And uh, thank you so much, not even not only for coming on once or even twice, but now doing it a third time. We really appreciate that. And uh, we had a, an unbelievable response from everyone who listened and even from the from the folks at Beef. Uh, ESPN PR reached out last year, thought we did a great job together. I hope this one was just a good, as good. Thank you so much for the time. Always enjoy a good conversation with somebody who asks good questions. I appreciate it. We do appreciate the people who uh, make our jobs exist, and those are the viewers. We don't, we don't say thank you to the viewers enough who watch us. It's, uh, sports is usually what we do to get away from uh, life's negative stuff. Unfortunately, sports has brought a lot of negative stuff, but the fans who show up and watch, they're the ones who keep us going. So we appreciate that. We appreciate you for your time, Steve. Thanks a bunch. We'll do it again soon, I hope. All right. Thank you. Take care, man. Thank you very much. Huge thanks to Mike Tirico for being on the podcast today. His third time in. We're proud of that. It's always great to get a big guest like that once, but it's even better to get him a second and now a third time. Uh, thanks to Bill Hoffheimer at ESPN for setting that up, and thanks to, for Mr. Trico for taking the time out. I'm getting annoyed with this dorky Final Fantasy music. It's not even the right dorky Final Fantasy music. I think it's time for time for Don and I to make some production, maybe a little uh, little bit for the uh, Pick 4 piece. We haven't done one in a long time, so it might be time to do it. And... Uh, we can work on that sometime here. As for the book club, we announced last week that the book club book of the month, book of the year, was, of course, David Shoemaker's The Squared Circle, Life, Death, and Professional Wrestling. Uh, David was on the podcast last week. You can check that out on our website, www.sports-casters.com, or you can find it on Stitcher and iTunes. We have a new book club book of the month this month. And it's by an author named David Dorsey. And the book is called Fourth Down in Dunbar. Uh, David actually found me on Twitter, said that he'd be interested in, in coming on the show. And we discussed having the book as part of the book club. There's a copy coming in to me now. I'm going to read it. And we are going to talk to David sometime later in the month. A little quote from David on what the book is about. Football goes beyond what we see on the field. In writing Fourth Down in Dunbar, I realized the best way to reveal the men behind the face masks is to be in their hometown and talk to them, their families, their friends, and coaches during the offseason. Uh, this book is a look at uh, the players and, and where they come from. Uh, I know it focuses on the Florida area, which is where I believe Dunbar is. I've heard that a uh, significant part of the book is on Buffalo Bills star Sammy Watkins, so I'm excited to read about Watkins' background. Uh, so we're going to check this out. Uh, it's available on Amazon, of course. And uh, I believe there's some ebook formats as well. Uh, again, the book is called Fourth Down in Dunbar. It's by David A. Dorsey, who writes uh, in Fort Myers, Florida. Uh, he's a KU guy. You can find him on Twitter at David A. Dorsey. So we're going to look at that the next couple months, or a couple weeks, excuse me. And then we'll have uh, have David on to chat with him about it. So we're looking forward to uh, to all that for sure. All right, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with Jeff Passan, uh, who has had a tough run of it lately, having to uh, travel out to New York City for Derek Jeter's last game in uh, in New York. And then, of course, last night was at the uh, epic Kansas City and Oakland game. So we're going to talk to Passan. We'll be right back.
Our next guest is from Cleveland, Ohio, and a graduate of Syracuse. He is the lead baseball columnist for Yahoo Sports. He was the first guest to ever appear on our show and is making his eighth appearance from a train in Baltimore today. A warm welcome to uh, Jeff Passon. What's up, Jeff? Hello, Steve. How are you? Good. How are you doing, buddy? How's the train? Uh, sitting here right now, so we will be moving soon and hopefully uh, not getting cut off because I am not familiar with the Baltimore train system, and uh, I think I, I need to get familiar because tomorrow I'm trying to pull off a doubleheader uh, and hit the noon game in Baltimore and at least the end of the 3 o'clock uh, NLDS game in Washington, so should be fun. Just curious, by looking around, do we have to worry about autograph seekers? Are there any people on the train kind of eyeing you up? Like, I think that's him. I'm not sure, you know. You There's see- actually a line of people in front of me right now. I'm ignoring. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, I have to ask you before we talk about the playoffs for a minute about New York last week and uh, all the Jeter stuff. I think I joked on Twitter about how you've had a really tough week having been at the Jeter game and then that Royals game the other night. But uh, what will you? Yeah, ta- my job sucks. <laughs> what will you take <laughs> away from uh, that night in Yankee Stadium? I mean, the the image of the last uh, the last hit that Derek Jeter had at Yankee Stadium, the walk off single, is is pretty indelible. And I think uh, you know when Derek Jeter gets. Uh, elected to the Hall of Fame five years from now. It's going to be one of those that's on the highlight reel with the uh, with the dive into the stands and with the Giambi play and uh, you know with the uh, I'm trying to think what are some other uh, cheater D- moments. Dive into the stands the, against the Red Sox. Yeah, the dive home into the stands, the Giambi play, uh, right. the, the Jeffrey Mayer home run, of course. I mean, there there are a lot of uh, a lot of those moments in his career and. Uh, this is going to be the one that ends every single highlight reel, just him standing there with that grin on his face and those tears in his eyes. Now, I think a large part due to burnout of the kind of, you know, the celebration and how, how polarizing the Yankers, Yankees and Jeter can be, there was sort of a big uh, blowback. Keith Oberman was pretty critical of him in the last couple of days. Where do you stand on him as a player? He's a great player. I don't care if he's a Yankee, a, a Royal, or anywhere in between. No matter where Derek Jeter ended up, he was going to be great. Now, the fact that he's got a fistful of rings with the New York Yankees, I think, uh, increases in the in people's minds the idea of just how great he was. He was never the best player uh, in the sport at any particular time. Uh, you know, so a lot of times he wasn't even among the best, but. There's not a, a great history, despite the position being as important as it is, of guys who played shortstop their entire career. And uh, even so, you know, a guy like Cal Ripken, who played about 75% of his games there, is among certainly among the five best shortstops ever. You, you could make a decent argument, I think, that Alex Rodriguez is right behind Honus Wagner. Now you'd have to throw, or excuse me, Derek Jeter is right behind Honus Wagner. You'd have to throw Alex Rodriguez out. You'd have to throw Cal Ripken out because... They spent so much time at third base. But uh, in the end, I think Jeter will retire as one of the five best shortstops ever. 
one last thing about this, and then we'll move on to the to the playoffs. I was wondering about that press conference and just sort of like I watched it on TV and it was really unique because it just seemed like it was a really different Derek Jeter than we usually get in those moments. I think just the combination of like I think you said a few times, you know, I'm just sort of trying to take it all in. I'm I'm in shock. And I was watching and I, I heard you ask a question and I was just wondering about your process in that moment. Like how do you how did you decide what you wanted to ask? Was it strictly based on what you knew you wanted to write? Did you get a more macro view of it at all? Like, wow, this is a, a really unique opportunity with Jeter. What was that whole press conference like and sort of the pr- process of deciding what you would ask him? That whole press conference was wildly frustrating because for one moment we saw what Derek Jeter could have been like over the previous 20 years. Right. And I, I, I don't blame Derek Jeter for acting how he did. It was very calculated. Frankly, it was very intelligent. I don't think any reporters would say Derek Jeter is a bad guy. We would just say that he is, uh, you know, boring by design. And as a as a reporter, somebody who wants to get a better understanding of these athletes and who they are, that's a very frustrating thing. But at the same time, I respect the fact that he felt like he needed to be boring to the media to keep us off, uh, you know, off his trail and. Uh, focus on what was the most important thing to him, and that was playing well for the New York Yankees. And I, I, I can't be such a guy for that. You know, the media is part of the duties, but he never uh, shirked those. He just didn't do them to the level that the media would hope he did, and that's a bummer because he's obviously an extremely intelligent, thoughtful guy. We just never saw that. And, uh, you know, you, you sit back and you kick yourself like, did I just not ask him the right questions right. over these last 20 years? But uh, ultimately, I think even if you did ask the right questions, uh, he would dance around them because that was his style, and that's how he did things. He sort of called everyone out for that at one point in the press conference, too, didn't he? Saying that he wasn't getting emotional because no one was asking <laughs> something like that, I remember. But Yeah, yeah that was more just a joke, I think. Yeah, last yeah, 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 there, yeah. Were, there were no questions that were going to make him emotional up there at that point. I think the emotions that... Uh, had gone out and he was just drained and uh, ready to essentially get on with his life. Yeah, uh, that's great. Uh, Kansas City is the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Not a great transition there, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was smooth. Yeah, it was real smooth. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be batting down my door now as smooth as transitions. Um, I, you live out in Kansas City, and you know what has it been like there the last couple weeks? Interesting. Uh, because I think there was this sense that the Royals were going to make the postseason, but were they going to win the Central? Were they going to go to the wild card? If they did win the wild card, was the game going to be at home or on the road? Uh, just how far and how deep into the playoffs could this team go if it made it? And uh, the, the culmination of everything in that wild card game was uh, it was incredible. It was, you know, I think I put in my column it was like an unburdening, and it was when you don't see a baseball game that really, truly matters in 29 years, and then you're there witnessing it, in a lot of cases not believing that the day had actually come, that uh, you got the payoff you've been waiting for. Uh, it's just a very emotional thing. And I think the, the thing that stood out to me most that day was, like, this is what sports is supposed to be. It's not as much the day-to-day as it is building to those great moments that you will never forget, and... Uh, I think even if it hadn't been as incredible a game as it was, 
that was still one of those moments that I wouldn't forget. And part of that is because of my ties to Kansas City, but right. part of it, too, is because uh, I grew up in Cleveland, and I know what it's like to uh, root for teams and have them disappoint you. I mean, that was my entire childhood there. And it is a, a sad thing to see, and it is an incredible thing when they don't disappoint you. Now, you, you're sort of in a nice position writing for Yahoo. You don't have quite the deadline that some of the newspapers might have, but did you, like, have a few different stories started and changed? And I mean, it was just a crazy night, the way the, the game kind of moved and changed, and 7-3 to tied to down again to winning the game. What was that like for you uh, as a writer, and, and what was the mood like in the press box with all that? I have a graveyard of good leads from that night that just ended up, you know, with with so many others that have been written. I was sitting next to Andy McCullough, who's a good friend of mine, and the beat writer for the Kansas City Star, and he, I mean, he just kept looking at me saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Because he actually was on a deadline. Right. And so, you know, if the Royals won in particular, this was going to be the most important baseball game story that's been written in Kansas City in 30 years. And that's the type of thing where if you're in a position like that, you know, you get nervous. I, You're right. I have a little more leeway. I have deadlines. But on a night like that, in a game like that, uh, I, I have very uh, very understanding editors, not to mention they are on the West Coast, which, uh, helps, which yeah. gives me a little bit of extra leeway. And uh, so I was able to really, uh, really attack that one. And uh, I, think the, I think it turned out all right. I was pretty happy with it. Yeah, I... I I think I, it might have been the Jeter piece we talked about, but it's sort of a weird thing, and I stick with my guys a lot, but I look forward to when I know you're at a game. Like I'll, I'll be checking Twitter at 1 o'clock or Yahoo to see if you post anything. But um, it wasn't 1 o'clock's too early. You've got to get some sleep, man. <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> those, are, those are 3 a.m. nights. That's true. You, you did tweet last night that was pretty funny about how on uh, you know the 30th, Baseball is the greatest thing. Last night, what is this crap? You know, it's kind of a, a funny tweet as the game wasn't quite as, as interesting in Pittsburgh last night. But there was some pretty great things going on in that game as well. The complete game shutout, only the second one uh, by a giant in the postseason. I think Lincecum might have had the other one. And the first ever uh, grand slam uh, by a, a shortstop, I think, ever in the playoffs. Uh, how is it different, you know, one night and doing what you do with the one night and the epic game and the other night sort of a letdown, blowout type of a, type of an atmosphere instead? I mean, it's, you try and do the same thing. Try and, you know, write what happened and do it interesting and do it different than everyone else. And that's, you know, when I go into the press box every night, my goal is to write the best thing that comes out of there. Sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. In a game like that, frankly, is a lot more challenging than a game like the night before. The, the night before, even, uh, I mean, I'm pulling out an Omar Little line here. If you, uh, if you remember uh, when he was uh, in the alleyway with Brother Mouton, and uh, he pulls out his gun and he says, this range, this caliber, uh, even if I miss, I can't miss. Yep. I couldn't miss on the night of the Royals game. No one could. You, you can't write a bad story from there. Last night, though? Very easy to write a bad story <laughs> because as, as great as Bumgarner was, as interesting as the Cropper Grand Slam was, it wasn't a game. I mean, it wasn't an inherently interesting thing beyond those San Francisco fans 
who want to read about uh, their team winning and the Pittsburgh fans who want to understand how their team lost. And that's the trouble with baseball. Baseball is a very parochial sport. And so writing the type of thing that appeals not just to the fan bases but to everybody is a challenge on a nightly basis. Now, I know the ratings were great, and it's three years in with this now, and we had a really great game on, what, a couple nights ago. We had, the first year we had some rules drama with the infield fly that was or wasn't. We had the return to baseball in Pittsburgh last year. So there's been a lot of things. Overall, do do you like this wild card round? You know, I didn't at the beginning, but uh, it's it's grown on me because – the, the inherent drama of a winner-go-home game, contrived though it may be, uh, is still present and still interesting and still has the capability of leading to, uh, you know, the type of strategy you may not see otherwise. The sort of aggressiveness that you saw with the Royals stealing seven bases. Uh, and, and those factors, I think, make for a different and unique and interesting game. The fact that it penalizes the wild card teams too, I think, is a good thing. Because what was it? Four teams in twelve years won the uh, won the World Series after being wild cards. Right. There's, you know, there's a lot of teams that backdoored into the playoffs and ended up winning it all. And so to put those teams at disadvantage for not winning their division, I think, was a shrewd move by baseball and incentivizes the importance of the division. You know, one thing they talked about on the broadcast of the game last night is sort of the the vibe in Pittsburgh about maybe being too aggressive in pitching Garrett Cole that last day, and, you know, maybe we should have held him back for this game. Do you think the way it resulted, I, I know that Pittsburgh themselves are not going to say that was a mistake or they're not going to second-guess themselves, but do you think at all that the um, teams in the future will, will be a little less aggressive in that spot? Well, I know Ned Yost was going to pitch James Shields in Game 162 if they had a chance to win the division away from the Tigers, but Ned Yost isn't exactly the uh, <laughs> uh, the, the manager after whom teams should uh, try patterning their decision-making. So uh, I disagree with it. That wasn't a hindsight thing. I disagree with it the moment Garrett Cole threw the first pitch. And, uh, I think that you have, to, uh, you have to understand if it is one game in the division with a maybe versus one win-or-go-home game definitively, uh, you save your best guy for the definitive one. It's simple as that. Yeah, we talked about this last year with Garrett Cole, too. I think we had the exact same conversation for their first game. You know, should they go Garrett Cole or should they go, um, oh, why can't I think of his name, the Yankees to the Pirates to now somewhere else? A.J. Burnett. A.J. Burnett, exactly. We had this debate last year, so it's weird. He's just always in these... In these conversations, you, you reminded me of something I wanted to ask you with two different things with Ned Yost and with the stolen bases from the night before. Another big narrative following the game at home was the whole money ball versus speed ball thing that was going on with the Royals and, and with, the, with the A's. Do you think that uh, that game did anything to change anyone's philosophy about how to play or coach or scout the game at all? One game is never going to change anybody's philosophy. And, and moreover there, I think the, the fact that people are taking this as some sort of a referendum on sabermetrics is irresponsible, frankly. Not just because all 30 teams out there use sabermetrics to varying degrees, but they use them. Uh, but, but the fact that uh, Oakland losing in the playoffs has nothing to do 
with their leaning toward numbers. Uh, Boston Red Sox, you know, may be among the five most actively analytical teams, and they've won three World Series in the last ten years. Uh, you know, the uh, St. Louis Cardinals had Jeff Luno hired from the private sector and put him in a baseball operating decision-making role uh, before he went to Houston as a general manager. He's a guy who's uh, uh, probably the most analytic heavy general manager in the game. And so uh, last year you had two very, very saber-strong teams in the World Series. And Oakland's an easy example to use because uh, they, they were close to the forefront, certainly, and because there was a really good book written about them. But right. the holding them up uh, as, as some uh, some indictment against sabermetrics, I think, is, is just stupid and flat out wrong. The sportscasters are here with Jeff Paston. He's on a train in Baltimore heading to game one of the LDS. A uh, few more minutes with you. What what are you looking forward to to the next round? You mentioned maybe going to two games tomorrow out out there. What 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 are the things you're most interested in following in the in the next round? By the way, I just realized I made a wire reference in Baltimore. You did. It, it took me what ten fifteen minutes to read. That just shows you how dumb I am. Can I'm I tell you? I, I want to tell you about a that was not intentional. A wire reference that I made. I was in um I was at Disneyland on my honeymoon and we were on Oh, some, that sounds like a perfect place to make a reference to uh the, Yeah, it was the, the most depressing drama <laughs> of our lives. It was. We were on a we were on a ride. I don't remember which one and it was one where three people sit in the row. So there was, you know, me and and my wife and then this this other guy and uh we were sitting there waiting for a little bit and I was talking to him and as you know, small talk where are you from and he said Baltimore. I said, "Oh, that's really cool. I said, uh, you know, do you know Omar Little or one of the characters? I don't remember which one. And he did just you, laughed. Did you really ask him that? I did. It was really stupid, except for it, it was funny. That, it was somehow worked shameful. out. Yeah, but it worked out. Like, he, he was the right person to ask because he, like, got it and got a little chuckle and sort of made fun of me at the same time about it. You know what I mean? It was, like, the right reaction for it. Like, it was a really. Hey, hey Steve, Steve, are you, are you from Buffalo? Do you know Jim Kelly? I've met him. I don't know him, but <laughs> <laughs> you know Pat Lafontaine. Uh, no, I did. I met his son at a hockey game once. No, I I know what you mean. It was I I was uh, I set it the tone and context. Like I said, we we made fun of me as part of the response. What so. was the seating arrangement? Was your wife in the middle, or did no? You, uh, she was on the other side. Middle? She went. She walked oh, all man. all the way in, and then I walked in, and then he walked in. You know. Oh, man. What was the ride? Uh, I think it was the Cars ride because it was the one that we had to like get there and get a fast pass, and we still didn't get on until almost ten o'clock at night. Yeah, the Cars ride's pretty awesome, though. Yeah, it was. It was sweet. But um, anyway, I've also watched, I've also watched Cars approximately eight hundred times over the last like two or three years. So. Well, that was another thing about about that and Cars was um, everyone told us we had to get to like the Cars area there right when the sun went down because they. Did something. They light it up. Yeah. And so we waited around there for like 15 minutes and the song plays and like six lights go on. And I, I was just like, that was stupid. And there was this like Disney worker standing there with me and she's like, well, don't, didn't you see the movie? And I'm like, no, I've never seen the movie. And she's like, oh, well, why did you come to Disney World? And I was like, well, I don't know because the Karate Kid doesn't have amusement park. And she just looked. <laughs> would, would, would you have gone to a Karate Kid amusement park? 
I would have wanted to, absolutely. I don't know if it would have been a honeymoon destination or not, but I would have wanted to get out there at some point, you know? But I don't know. Anyway, uh, enough me making, you know, making fun of me. Let's go back to, to, the, right. to the DS. What, what are you looking forward to this round? Uh, well, I'm going to be in Washington tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to seeing, frankly, how the Nats perform, because I think they are going to win the World Series this year, and, uh, you know, two years ago, bombing out last year, not making the playoffs, uh, everything is live at this point, and for my money, they are the definitive favorite, so uh, see whether they can uh, step up and fulfill all that talent, and do it in Matt Williams' first year, no less. It's going to be a very interesting uh, interesting series against the team that tends to win a lot in postseasons and even years. Let me ask you something about that. We criticized them a lot a couple years ago for shutting down Strasburg right before the playoffs and how it didn't work out necessarily. And he's going to start game one for them. They're, they seem really excited about that. Do they need to do anything sort of to justify that decision in hindsight? Is that just gone, or can they, if, if, this, if this works out, can they look back at that and say, we told you so, sort of, or something like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, if they win a ring, then that'll justify it. I, I, I don't think anything, though, frankly, justifies it. I still think we don't know enough about the arm to say whether it was certainly the right decision. I personally don't think it was. I think that... You know, the the point I've gotten to is you pitch a guy until his arm breaks because you just, you never know. It's going to break at some point or another, and you hope you get as much out of him as you possibly can. Is that a chapter in the book, the Strasburg shutdown? Uh, there is definitely uh, definitely some Strasburg uh, shutdown stuff in Yeah, it's very interesting stuff, as is, as is hopefully all of the stuff in there. But the Strasburg stuff is very inside the process, and I think, uh, I think people will enjoy that. Sweet, sweet. So you love the Nats in the National League. You're going to Baltimore now. What are you looking for in the American League? Uh, you know, look, I'm from Kansas City, so I can't deny the interest in the Royals is very high. And I want to see if they can hang with the Los Angeles Angels, the best team in baseball uh, this season. Uh, I think they can talent-wise, but to me, Ned Yost is the big X factor. It feels like he's going to lose a game for them somewhere. And when every decision matters like it does in the playoffs, uh, it puts them at a gross disadvantage. Is he by far the worst coach in the playoffs, in your opinion? If you were to do a power rankings, would he be dead last? Mm, yeah, I think he would be dead last. Be. Um, you know, Don Mattingly is not the uh, greatest strategist. Mike Matheny certainly uh, has his issues as well. You know, it, it's like... Buck Showalter is uh, is at the top, and everybody else is just playing for a second. Are you excited about the possibility of seeing a guy like Mike Trout in a World Series game? Like, I would that... love to see Mike Trout yeah. in the World Series. I'd love to see Mike Trout play as long as he can, because every game Mike Trout plays is another game we have a chance to see. truly spectacular. And, and the fact that he's going to be on the national stage for the first time here uh, in the postseason, I think, uh, is a pretty cool thing. It's something that uh, could provide memorable moments. I mean, you know, people are waiting for him to take that mantle from Derek Jeter as the guy in baseball, and nothing better to do it than uh, with a, a revera performance in the postseason. Man, another New Jersey guy too, right? Isn't he from New Jersey? 
Who, who's the first? You say another. Well, you said from Jeter. Jeter was from New Jersey too, right? Yeah, Jeter's a Michigan guy. Well, but didn't he grow up in New Jersey or have ties in New Jersey? Nope. No ties to New Jersey other than their Yankee fans are you, there. Are you sure about that? I am 100% sure about that. All right, I'll trust you. But I could have swore his grandma lived there and he lived there in the summers or something. Well, and that's why he wanted to be a Yankee yeah, shortstop. I, I, don't, I don't count that, though, you know? Everyone's got a grandma who lives somewhere. Right. Yeah, mine lives at the cemetery. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> this just took a turn for the worst. <laughs> My humor, my humor seems to be shifting this into bad spaces all along in this, uh, in this interview. Uh, I was gonna say, can you do like a post-edit sad trombone in there? <laughs> oh man, Jeff, it's fun talking to you. Uh, Jeff Passan writes for Yahoo Sports. He's at Jeff Passan on Twitter. He's on a train to Baltimore right now, so I don't want to take up too much more of his time. I'm guessing you're going the Nats to win it. The Nats in the NL. Who did you say you're gonna pick for the AL? You didn't. Who was your AL pick? I did not. Uh, I'm going Tigers. Starting pitching, uh, I'm a sucker for the best starting pitching, and when you can head a rotation with Max Scherzer and David Price, uh, that puts you up there uh, among the elite. And so I think uh, with those two, if they can get even decent performances out of Rick Porcell or Justin Verlander, uh, look, the back end of their bullpen's a little bit scary when you've got Nathan and Java Chamberlain, but I think Joaquin Soria uh, and Anibal Sanchez are going to play big roles, and that 3-4-5 with uh, Miguel Cabrera, Victor Martinez, and J.D. Martinez uh, may be the most powerful 3-4-5 in the postseason. Yeah, I think Verlander is an interesting guy, too. I know he's had a really bad year, but we've seen with a couple Giants pitchers in the last few years, Zito and, and Lincecum on bad years, find like really important roles and get really big outs for them in the postseason. It'd be interesting to see if Verlander can do something like that, whether it's starting or out of the bullpen or an emergency spot somewhere. But it'll be interesting to see if he can give them something. I mean, he's been a really good postseason pitcher in his career. So uh, seeing that out of him, uh, he's working with diminished stuff. I mean, he doesn't throw like he used to, but uh, we, we've seen in recent weeks there's still the capability of excellence from him, and uh, I can I can definitely see something like that uh, happening. You know, a, a seven shutout at some point. All right, thanks for doing this. Thanks for uh, for being the second ever train guest. We appreciate that. And uh, oh, I wanted to tell you too. I went to that game in Cleveland. You know, I spent a few days in Cleveland, and. Um, you know, it was a bad result for me, but uh, nice people in Cleveland. It was a nice weekend there. You have nice, nice I'm neighbors. Glad to hear you. Yeah. I'm glad to hear you like them, and uh, rest in peace, Grandma. <laughs> and Derek Jeter, born in Pequahannock Township, New Jersey. Born. Where's Pequahannock Township? I have no idea, but it's in New Jersey, and that's where he was born. So I wasn't totally crazy. Oh, how long did he live there? I think it says six months here on... Uh, on okay, there you no, go. No, I have no there idea. But. All right, Jeff. All right, so thanks, he, and Mike, he and Mike Trout were both Jersey born. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, yes, I knew it. I knew it. Thanks, bud. Take care, dude. All right, talk to you soon. It's time for a new segment we've created called Five on Fantasy. With the first pick... Adrian Peterson, Drew Brees, Steven Jackson, Miles Austin, Leonet Ocho Cinco, TJ Pushmanzada. I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league.
All right, I want to thank Jeff Passon for being on the show today. I love talking to Jeff. Excited for the baseball playoffs. Looking forward to watching them all October. All right, uh, with the addition of Jim Florentine on the show today, we decided to do a little five on fantasy. It's kind of an idea we liked anyway. We just didn't think we'd be able to fit it in with the news of the book club, but having the extra guests this week, it worked out. What we're going to do is just talk about what do we got? About five or four guys on each four list. On each, yep. Four on each of players who have overperformed their draft position and players who have underperformed. And if we think it's going to correct themselves, if it's going to stay the same, where it's going to kind of go from there. And uh, Don's going to get us kind of from player to player here. All right, first we'll start with the guys that are underperforming. We're going to go with Rob Gronkowski, who is currently – this is my league scoring, which is fairly standard except for its PPR. So he's currently the 10th-ranked tight end by those scoring. Yeah, if I have him, I'm still excited about it. I think he's getting better. Uh, he had a miserable year with injuries and things like that last year. And I know his snaps were – not as high as you might have hoped in the first couple games. He's anytime the Patriots are near the red zone, he's a threat to score. He scored with the backup quarterback and mop up duty for you last week. I'm still I would still be happy with him. Will he be one of the top three? I don't know, but my guess is he's gonna be close and his best games are certainly in front of him still. Sure. I, I worry about that whole team. Um Obviously, anyone on this sell list, you're going to have a hard time selling, or you're going to have to take 80 cents on the dollar. So, right, and I wouldn't for this player. Yeah, I guess that's what you're asking is, if you can still get something for his name, would you? And I, I think I agree with you here. Now, his quarterback, on the other hand, I think is straight up droppable. We decided not to even put him on the list right, because yeah, it just if, looks like a disaster. But I, I think if you have Gronk, you have to keep him. The next guy on the list... Uh, LaShawn McCoy. I'm going to be a little bit biased because right before we started recording today, I managed to get a deal that I, I think I won uh, trading Alshon Jeffrey for LaShawn McCoy. Now, McCoy's had about the two most brutal weeks of his career the last two weeks. So what do you do if you're a LaShawn McCoy owner? I wouldn't be trading him for Alshon Jeffrey. I would much rather be you in that deal than the other guy. And look, at you drafted him, what, first, second, third maybe? Probably, yeah. I don't think week four is the time to cut a guy you picked that high for 80 cents on the dollar. I think that his, again, his best games are ahead of him. And you probably assume his worst games are behind him too. You have to. This guy is still ultra talented. And you know what else? If you don't win, if uh, your team doesn't work out because LaShawn McCoy just never came around, you can live with that. If your team doesn't win because you gave up on LaShawn McCoy and he went off on someone else's team, that's going to be frustrating. Sure. So I probably would not trade LaShawn McCoy. I wouldn't do anything. I'd just keep putting him in there, starting him, and, and really hoping for the best. Yeah, and my scoring right now, LaShawn McCoy, is the 21st ranked. Now, keep in mind, I'm just giving you total points, and there have been buys, but uh, it's not like LaShawn. I mean, if... Put it this way, I'm happy with the trade. I, I wouldn't have proposed it otherwise. So if you can trade Alshon, if you can buy low on McCoy, I would. I probably would, yeah. I'd be surprised if I wouldn't buy low on all of these guys. And the advice about you probably can't sell them right now because of where their value at, it probably holds for all these guys too. The next guy we have is Calvin Johnson. Yeah, I would say the same exact things I said about McCoy for Johnson. And Johnson has been a little banged up on top of it too. 
which I think is part of the reason why. And I feel like this has happened with him in the past too, where there's been weeks where he hasn't. And I think that's the position wide receiver. Just it's going to happen where the other team is just going to do everything they can to make sure you're not catching the ball and it's going to come around. And I, I don't know. I definitely wouldn't sell him for, for 80 cents in the dollar. I'd still, if I was going to trade him, I'd still want full trading the fifth overall pick value for him. Well, an interesting guy that would be the fifth overall pick potentially would be Eddie Lacy. Would you, which side of that do I guess that's that's probably the one on the list that I would at least be thinking about it. He looks slow at times, and and other than his concussion, which he came back the following week, you right. can't really blame any of it on injuries. So, uh, you could talk me into a trade for Eddie Lacy a lot easier than you could McCoy. Or Johnson, but again, you're probably in a position where you used a really high pick on this guy, and it's probably too early to do anything drastic. Now, if you're sitting there one and three or zero oh and four, and the playoffs don't look likely, and you can get maybe two guys you can start for him, sure, that you wouldn't trade head up for the guy, but maybe it makes your team stronger. I would consider I would consider moving moving him. Going back to Calvin Johnson a little bit, the problem with Calvin Johnson uh, last week, and the coach kind of came out and all but admitted it, is he was used as a decoy, essentially. Uh, other than that, though, week one he had a great week. He had a Calvin Johnson-like week, 164 right. yards. On Monday Night TVs. Football, yeah. The following two weeks were not bad weeks. He had six for 83 and six for 82. He just didn't get in the end zone. So if there's an owner, maybe more than anybody on this list, maybe more than even the guy I got in McCoy – Kelvin Johnson, if you can get somebody that is a little bit freaking out about yeah, if you his can get two even a 12, five cent discount on him, you probably do banged it. up. You you probably do it. Uh, I just wish if if I were an owner of his, I'd rather he get ruled out like like last week rather than playing him that banged up. Yeah, because if he's in, clearly, you have to play him. You have to yeah. right. But yeah, I would I would buy him. Lacey, I don't know. He, I I think I agree with you. Him or Gronk are probably the guys I'm the lowest on. Lacey, it seems like it's on him a little bit. Gronk, it might seem like it's on the offense. So I don't know which I have more faith in coming, getting better, Gronk's Ass- offense or Lacey's himself. Assuming everything's equal and we have a four-team, one-player league, and these <laughs> are the only four guys eligible, how would the draft, how would your draft go? I think it would go... Oh uh, boy, it'd be close. But it's I would probably do Calvin Mc- Johnson or McCoy. I would do McCoy one, Johnson two, Gronk three, Lacey four. Yeah, that's probably right. Assuming too, like their value at the position isn't necessarily equal, right. That's but, why I said everything equal right, for this right. purpose. All right, let's switch it up. I'll, I'll give you the guys who have overperformed a little bit, at least in in relative to draft position. And the first guy is probably the MVP of fantasy so far. Sure, Demarco Murray, who is just killing it. Yeah, um, I totally buy it. The, we know the talents there. The only reason you're selling is if you're that afraid of injury, and injuries can happen to anybody. So I don't. If you're going to sell DeMarco Murray or probably the next guy we're going to talk about, you're going to sell them for another running back that is a top tier running back and something else that improves your team, like another wide receiver that improves your team. The scary thing about Murray is he has 99 carries already. You know, that's yeah. a huge amount. 
But to some extent, Le'Veon Bell, sounds, who we're going to talk about next, has 72 carries. Sure. To some yeah. extent with Murray, and I'd have to look at the breakdown of the games, has it decreased at all? Because there is some thought that Romo is getting healthier. Getting healthier. He had 22 carries week one, 29 week two, and 24 the last two weeks. Okay, so they haven't really dropped. He's one of basically four players who's ever rushed for at least 100 yards and scored one touchdown yeah, in each all, of the four games. They're legends. All-time legends, right. right. I think probably everyone's seen that stat on the on the yeah. game on Sunday. So they did mention that a lot. Yeah, there, I, there's nothing you could do with him. Put him in your lineup every week. And uh, be glad you drafted be glad him. You dra- yeah. It was a great pick. Yeah, And that's probably maybe true as well of Le'Veon Bell. Maybe even more so because you probably waited longer for Bell. Right, Bell... 72 carries. He's got 378 yards. Only one touchdown so far. And also 19 catches, which is a boatload. Uh, Murray, in comparison, only has nine catches uh, for almost 200 yards there as well. So it's uh, almost, you know, an every down back. He's doing it all for you. He looks great, too. That's the crazy. He looks way better than I thought he was. I remember he was a rookie last year, right? Yes. Okay. So he was drafted highly. He was kind of the maybe Bishop Sankey. I think last he had a year. suspension at the beginning of the year. That's people right. Had to wait out. That's right. Yeah. Okay, but otherwise he was a guy that people were kind of high on. He came into the league, and I don't remember watching him thinking he was anything special. It's like okay, he's going to be the starter. There. He got a lot of attempts, not yeah. a great yards per carry or anything like that. I've never seen a guy come back this transformed. He kind of seemed like the. Ben Jarvis Green Ellis type, like just run into the line for four yards. And now he comes back this year 20 or 30 pounds lighter, and he looks more like LaShawn McCoy than just some plotter. Like, unbelievable transformation. And he'll, he'll be at the, in a top five draft pick next year. And, and owners must have been really pleased, too, when you put him in and it's Carolina on the road, and you're thinking it's not a great matchup, but obviously, you know, start your studs. And he gets, you know, 147 yards in a difficult game like that. Yeah, they're, they're matchup-proof. So, don't, yeah. don't worry about DeMarco Murray. Don't worry about him. These With Peterson out, these guys are as close to matchup-proof. Jamal Charles, I guess, is in that list, too. Now, the last two are ones that, okay, maybe we can do something here. Let's start with Steve Smith first. Steve Smith Sr. Uh, we don't want to offend his son. Right. Uh, he, okay. Where he is right now, he's a top three fantasy receiver, basically. Uh, almost 500 yards receiving already. He's got three touchdowns. He's got quali- quantity and catches. It's not like he's got a huge, huge average. 25 catches is really nice. Like 60 of those are a fluke last week, if you saw the play. The tip. Uh, His worst game is six catches for 71 yards so far. He's done it against decent competition, too. He's played Cincinnati. He's played Cleveland, where I'm sure he saw some of Joe Hayden. Uh, I kind of buy it. I don't think I buy it at number three overall, but I think he could easily finish in the top ten. And a lot of this is how good Joe Flacco and the the Baltimore offense all of a sudden is a really good offense. And I don't know if, if maybe Steve Smith has something to do with that. Or If someone offered you Eddie Lacy for Steve Smith straight up, would you do it? Oh, I, I mean, if I needed a running back – Steve Smith is probably the third or fourth receiver I drafted. So, yeah, I probably do that, assuming I have some talent at wide receiver in front of him. But it's not much less than that. I mean, I, I want a guy that is a top running back for him at this point. Yeah, he. Uh, I think he's a guy you might want to use to throw some 
ideas out. See how much you could get for him. Sure. Almost see if you could get a dollar fifty for the dollar. To- now, I mean, if if Des Bryant's owner wants to take Steve Smith for some reason because he's outperformed Des at this point, then that's the type of move that I would flip Steve Smith for. I, I Calvin Johnson's owner. I mean, if you can get him to freak out and take Steve Smith, there's the move you make. But yeah, I, I kind of buy it. Tory Smith has been a forgotten man there for some reason. All right. Last thing on this, uh, and this is we wanted to look at Martellus Bennett, who is having a great season so far, 29 catches, 295 yards, four touchdowns, highest rated tight end in most scoring systems. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe Graham, Graham is about uh, probably more in PPR. Um, I have Bennett still ahead, but I think it's probably based on touchdowns. Well, Look, Graham has three. Okay, Bennett's got four, so that's they're pretty close. They're there. real close. Yeah. Um, I don't think Bennett can keep it up. Uh, that said, a lot of balls to go around there, especially with Forte and Marshall, Marshall as he gets Jeffrey, healthier. Right. I still want Jimmy Graham number one. I still want Julius Thomas number two. Him and Gronk are an interesting question. Uh, yeah, I don't think he can keep keep the touchdowns up, and I don't think he's going to have many 134 yard games. His yard totals in the games before that are 70, 37, and 54, but those games look like monster games because he had one, one, and two touchdowns in them. So, if the Gronk owner offered you Gronk for Bennett straight up, would you do it? Probably. If I had Bennett, I'm probably just leaving well enough alone because of Gronk's injury history and the mess at offense there. But it, it's close, and I would I would probably be more down on Bennett other years, but tight end is – there's like a top tier of tight end, and then there's a list of guys that are almost unusable. Like, I came into this season with any of the Washington – It's not nearly as deep as we thought it would be. No. I guess is probably what you're saying. And another guy to throw in real quick that I'm just – because it seems like we're buying most of these guys. The one guy I'm not buying at all is Eddie Royal. Uh Totally touchdown dependent. And sort of did this last year, yeah, too. Yeah, kind of seems fluky, but he's a top 10 receiver right now. Uh, not buying it. All right. Uh, that was fun. Let us know uh, what you think at sports underscore casters, the sportscasters at gmail.com, and we'll take a break and come back with uh, James Florentine. Our next guest is from New Jersey and is a stand-up comedian, actor, and co-host of VH1 Classics, That Metal Show. He's the host of a podcast called Jim Florentine's Comedy Metal Midgets. He just finished recording a comedy special called The Simple Man, and he's going to be in Rochester this weekend uh, at the Joke Factory. He's making his second appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very funny Jim Florentine. What's up, Jim? What's going on, man? How you doing? Thanks for doing this again. Good. Really? Yeah, no problem. Absolutely, man. I love talking sports. Yeah, it was cool too. Uh, we uh, we uh, had you on before when you were in Buffalo at Helium. What do you think of Helium? Because it's kind of new. We haven't had like a we haven't had in Buffalo a place like that for a while, actually. 
No, I love the club. It was great, man. You know, there's like two or three other hearings around the country, too. Right. So they know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. It was, we were glad to, to come down there and check you out, and glad to have you back. You're going to be in Rochester this week on two days, uh, so it's uh, the 3rd and the 4th, I believe, so Friday and Saturday at the Joke Factory. Uh, you just did the uh, the comedy special, so are the, the shows this weekend going to be uh, the material that you recorded for the special, or are you on the new stuff, or where are you at with material and stuff like that? No, it's pretty much going to be from the special, you know, because the special won't have for another right. um, probably three, four months. We're not exactly sure when. Who did so, you? So you know, I just finished working on that, so I don't, you know. Right. Yeah. Who is? I can't uh... come up. With, I can't come up with new <laughs> shit all the time. Well, you know, I might have a few minutes or whatever, but by the time people see it, then they'll they'll be all right. What What do you have? You said where the the comedy special will air when it's on in a few months? Not sure yet. They're not still sure trying yet. to work, yeah. work out a deal between a couple different networks. So probably not in a couple of weeks. Right. That's sweet. So. Yeah. You have that coming up. Uh, I know I've seen uh, that it's going to be around February for that metal show, and I know there's been a lot of frustration. I actually heard um, Eddie on, uh, he did a, a Grantland podcast or something like that, and I listened to some of it, and he was saying, you know, you guys have had some opportunities to do some stuff, and you've been interested, but only 12, uh, 12 episodes with VH1 this year, huh? Look, it's just like any other TV show. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> You do 10, 12 episodes a year, maybe 13. That's about it. I mean, like Amy Schumer's show does like 10 or 12. I think it's 10. She does it once a year. You know, most of the shows, Breaking Bad was like, what, 10, 12 episodes. So it's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I worked, you know, I worked on Crank Gangers back in the day, and we do, you know, 10 or 12 or 13 episodes a year. And we'll wait a year and do another 12 or 13. So, Yeah, another thing. I just kind of go. You know, through. you know, it costs money to produce these shows. Right. Yeah. No, I. Understand. You know what I mean? So it's like you know, it's a, it depends what the network has. It's all up to them. It's not to go. Nah. I don't know. You know, it, it costs a lot of money to do this stuff. So. Yeah. Hey. I mean, with a show, with a show like that, in my opinion, it's cool that we get twelve episodes a year. You know, it's not like there's uh, channels and channels of metal talk shows out there. So to have twelve of them a year is, you know, a lot better than than none of them. I got no problem with 12 at all. Yeah. I'm happy. I'm just happy we're still doing the show. It doesn't matter. You know, look, that, it, it, the, the company is Viacom. Viacom owns so many different channels and movies and all this other stuff. You know, whatever whatever money they have for that certain quarter of the year they give to, you know, VH1 Classic and go, go produce this many shows. So it's coming from, you know, you know, way, way up top. So, it's you know, we have no say in the matter. So whatever, whatever they do, if they, hey, as long as they're still doing the show, it's all good. One other thing I wanted to ask you about, and then we can we can chat about some sports and, and get your opinion on some things. Was uh, you've been doing? Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, some here and there, a day a week, uh, maybe two, uh, maybe not every week. But you've been on Opie and Jim's show on Sirius a bit, and I've been really enjoying that. And you also did your own kind of two hour show uh, one day in there. What what is your what is your feeling on how everything kind of sorted out with that? Now that we know. You know, Opie and Jimmy are going to be there for at least another year, if not two. Anthony's going to keep doing his thing. You know, you, you got, it, it seems like they really made well of a difficult situation by mixing in friends and, and kind of really moving on. Because they were, they were in a really tough spot, Opie and Jimmy, I mean. And it, it felt like they did a really good job kind of, kind of reestablishing themselves. And, and I'm happy for them uh, to have the show going for another couple of years, too. Yeah, you know, it was a tough spot for them. But, you know, when Anthony got fired... 
they, uh, you know, they're still on the contract. They just can't walk away and go, well, if he's not doing the show, we're not doing the show, you know, because it's a breach of contract. And they'll get sued for millions. You know, you got to honor your contract, even though when it's the other way around, when a big company fires you, all of a sudden they, you know, they won't honor the rest of your contract. You know, they always pull that. But as far as the, you know, performers, you got no choice. So, and then they decided after a few months, you know, I don't know what the, exactly went down. Anthony seemed like he wanted to do his own thing. And they weren't ready to give it up, you know, give up the radio show either. And, you know, Sirius probably isn't ready to bring Anthony back, if ever, but not, probably it's probably too soon. So maybe they just, you know, who knows what happens in a year from now. Maybe, you know, Sirius says, hey, we want Anthony back on the team. And, you know, and then he comes back. You like, uh, is that something you, like, you do a lot of different things, obviously. You do stand-up. You, you've worked in TV shows. You know, you uh, the, the metal show we talked about. Where, where does radio fit in, like? Is that something you really like doing? You do it for the exposure? You don't like it that much? Like, wh- what do you feel about a gig like that? No, I love doing radio. You know, I started doing radio before I did stand-up. You know, I wanted to be on the radio. I was doing, you know, DJing and playing metal records and talking and all that stuff. And then I just wound up getting into stand-up because I had a lot more freedom of just being up on stage and saying whatever I could. But I've always been a fan of radio. And, um, you know, I do a show on Ozzy's Boneyard on Sirius XM, too. Mm-hmm. You know, a two-hour metal show a week, too. So, no, you know... Um, you know, and then I just love getting, you know, because you could be, especially, you know, it depends what kind of show you go on, but a lot of times you can really shine on radio by being funny on there. And, and you know, as long as there's an open format, they just kind of riff like Open Anthony's show, you know, even the Stern show. And there's a lot of, you know, radio shows around the country that really give you that freedom to let you shine. And people are like, oh, man, this guy's funny. So they come to see you in the club, which is great. Yeah, and I think Opie does a great job of giving you a lot of rope, too, to just kind of do your thing. He'll just kind of tee you up, like, so, catch up, you know, so, and give you all yeah. these different, and he just lets you go, and I mean, I love that. Like, I think that's a great, great use of having you in there. Yeah, instead of, you know, some other radio shows, you know, you go on around the country when I go do in these towns, they're like, okay, so uh, give us some topics you want to talk about, you know, so, uh, you know, you got a kid, or right, we'll talk about that, or, you know, like that, and it's just, it seems so forced. Instead of it just riffing, you know, and all of a sudden something comes up and you just go off on it. I like that format way much better, you know, with, uh, you know, what, what, what Opie's channel does. Yeah, and it's such an interesting dynamic, too, because, I mean, I, I'm a big I'm a big Stern guy. I've been since I was, you know, I don't know, 14, whatever, like like a lot of people. And I think with uh, the Opie and Anthony show and now Opie and Jimmy, uh, a big reason that I've become as big of a fan as I have is because Howard opened the door by working less and less, and it gave me more time to find other entertainment. And now I'm kind of just – I like to listen to both. uh, And um, it's interesting how there's some people out there who you only really hear on Howard, and there's other people who you – you know only here on Opie's show. And then there's other people who've crossed over and have done both shows. Um, you know, you might hear on both and you're, you're one of those guys who over the years ha- has done both shows. And does that, as someone who, who's friends with, uh, with, with, with Opie and Jimmy and being on, has it ever created like an awkward atmosphere? Or is it just one of those things where you walk in just like, nobody's really worried. Everyone's got to make their, their living and no one kind of holds people up to things like that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've never, you know, had a problem with, you know, me and Jim Norton were living together when he was joined the Open Anthony show and I was on Stern a lot, you know, and it was just like those two, you know, it was a bad feud back in the day, but we never, <clears throat> we never concerned ourselves. We're like, hey, man, we're just happy we're on the radio and getting exposure, you know, it's like whatever, you know, so, um, but it's never really, had a, I never really had a problem with either of them, you know, um, right. th- you know, th- to me, I, I like both shows and, you know, it's, uh, 
no one's ever told me you can't go on that show or you can't do this, you know, so. I think, um, I think that's Yeah, I mean, I remember those... even calling, uh, you know, it was Jim, they wanted him to call him for Jim Norton's birthday, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago, maybe five, I'm not exactly sure. I said, let me just call Gary from the Stern Show and make sure it's okay. And he's like, of course. He's your friend. He's a fellow comic. Yeah, don't worry about him, man. You don't have to ask about that. So I was like, all right, cool. So Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's one of those things that maybe fans want there to be like want to make more of a thing than it actually is you know like people on twitter and people out there who don't know that they, they want it to be like oh my god i can't believe you were on stern because you were just on opie like i think that's more of like a a, 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 a fan-made thing than a reality at least that was yeah my- i mean it's you know um i think you know Years ago, you know, uh, 10 years ago, whatever, it was a big deal. You know, they were really fighting the two shows. Now they're in the same building. They're right around the corner from each other. So it's like, you know, people are always up there. And one thing that's serious is when you go up there, there's so many radio shows going on. You just pop in one, you pop in another one. And so it's all, you know, it's it's supposed to be like one big happy family. You know, there's still some feuding going on, but it's not that bad. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Now, you were at... um I saw some pictures. You went to uh, Jerry World last week, huh? Tell me about it. What, what's that place like? The Cowboy Stadium is yeah. amazing. Yeah, it is. I was very, very impressed. Um, just the atmosphere there. Everybody's in a freaking good mood. The crowd's crazy loud. You know, just a really good time. You know, that they got freaking these bars right out front, front of the stadium that open like three hours or before the game or three, four hours. You can watch the red zone on these big uh, HD screens outside the stadium and. It's really cool, man. It's uh, they did a really good job there. You know, compared to, um, the Jets and Giants Stadium, whatever. What's that shithole called? MetLife, Met whatever. Life, yeah. It that stadium is complete garbage compared to, to what the Cowboys did, and they could have they could have modeled themselves after the Cowboys Stadium because that came after, and it cost more money. MetLife. There's no character whatsoever to that MetLife Stadium. It's all just concrete and nothing, just bare, and just no vibe to that stadium at all, and. Compared to Cowboy Stadium, it's just a fucking place electric, man. It's really cool. Now, it was a great night to be there. Well, you know what I mean? It was a great night for the Cowboys, obviously. So it's a night where you could really gauge what kind of advantage they have in the place. Because one criticism I've heard is that it's just so big. And even though it's a really large crowd in numbers, I think there was 90,000 plus at that game on Sunday, that it still wasn't necessarily that loud. Is that... Is that not true, or what was your feeling on what kind of actual advantage they get, you know, with snap counts and some of the things that, obviously, in Seattle, it's crazy, and even in New Orleans, really well, and, and a few other places, too. It was, yeah, the place holds 90,000. I mean, right. the place was packed. Um, there were a lot of Saints fans there, and in New Orleans, I guess, isn't that far from Dallas, so there was a ton, you know, I'd say probably 10,000 Saints fans were there out of the 90,000. Wow. There was a lot all dressed up, and they were just miserable um, <laughs> with know. the outcome. But, no, I mean, I don't know. That stadium was on fire. Maybe it was a Sunday night game. Everyone, it was a great day. People were out having beers, and they just destroyed the Saints from, you know, the opening play. So I don't, maybe that had something to do with it instead of a boring, you know, 17-14 game and they're not playing well. But yeah, just I thought like- the Cowboys had a pretty big advantage with the crowd going crazy. I went to the Saints and Browns game. I'm a big Saints fan. And uh, being a, I've been since I was like seven years old. I, I don't get to 
see him that often live. I go to New Orleans every couple of years, and uh, I went to the game a couple of weeks ago in Cleveland. And it was my second time in that stadium, and that's a nice a nice stadium, you know, relatively new. I think they built it in '99, and it, there was the home opener there, and it, they had done a bunch of things over the summer to kind of update it. Uh, and um, it was really interesting because one thing I noticed, and I wonder how Cowboys fans are at this point. I just noticed like the Browns got off to a decent start. I think it might have been 16 to 6 at one point and then it got to 16 10 at halftime and the Saints took the lead a couple times in the second half before the Browns kicked the field goal, but it was really interesting to me how incredibly frustrated you can tell the fan base is, how little patience there was, how much of overreaction there was, how there's a real big split in the crowd, uh, you know, Manziel guys, Hoyer guys, uh, Manziel was coming on and off the field during the game and different packages they were running and some people would get furious, some people, but it was a real interesting fan sort of response to the game and what was it like in, in Cowboy Stadium, did it get real uh, nervous and anxious when the Saints sort of late in the third quarter and into the beginning of the fourth quarter almost looked like they might make it a game. What was the overall fan impression like in Dallas? Um, yeah, it wasn't really that bad. I, you know, I felt a little uneasy, people, but it wasn't as bad. You know, Cleveland's just used to, I mean, look at the week before when they lost to Pittsburgh. Right. You know, they were up, what I don't know, like 21-3 or something like that, and they lost the last second. So Pittsburgh, Cleveland's just used to losing at the, you know, the last minute and always being like that. Unfortunately for that city, so as soon as they see the Saints coming back, like, all right, we're done, we're not going to win, of course, we're the Browns, you know, we got bad luck. Um, it, it didn't seem that vibe, you know, it seems like everybody's pretty positive. Um, the rest of the country has a problem with Tony Romo, but it seemed like, no, I didn't hear any negative stuff about Romo, even though he played a great game, you know, that night it, with the Cowboys, you know, people just love him. You know, I mean, you look around the league when you got, like, you know, E.J. Manuel in Buffalo, you know, getting benched now for Kyle Orton. Come on. Right. I mean, that's a joke. Mm-hmm. You got Tannehill in Miami. I'm a Miami fan who's, you know, he's just, he's good, but he's never going to get to the next level. You got, uh, you know, you got Geno Smith in, in, with the Jets who's just, you know, a turnover machine and all these other Rams got no quarterback. They, Romo's still a good quarterback, even though he'll make mistakes and stuff like that. I mean, as the quarterbacks out there, a, a lot of teams would like to have Romo on their team. I don't know if Romo ever brings it, the Cowboys to the Super Bowl. I think he's a notch below that, but you know, you still, he, they still got a good quarterback, you know, can have games like that, like he did against the Saints. But then again, you're playing against Rob Ryan's defense. That guy is the most overrated He's NFL brutal. coach in football. Why do they keep showing him on the sideline? The guy stinks. He's never done anything in his career. Only one team that he's been the defense coordinator in 11 years in the league has made the playoffs. That was the Saints last, last year, year. Yep. and they lost the first round. Second round. They beat Philly in the first Second round. round. That's yeah. right. Yeah. He stinks. The guy's got no Why do they keep showing him? He's got he's just he should be an inside linebackers coach. Not even not even a linebacker. Just just <laughs> handle two guys instead of four. Yeah, it's weird too because you know when he was hired, it was after the Saints had the worst statistical defense of all time, you know, and then he comes in with a little bit of talent upgrade, but in a lot of positions, playing with guys who had been on that historically bad defense, and they were the number four defense overall in the league. Now they weren't quite that good, you know. That's by I think that's measured by yards. They yeah, barely that had, doesn't mean anything. Right, that they, yard stuff. Right, that they really bar- doesn't. They barely had any turnovers all season. You know, they they were decent at sacking the quarterback, but also the two biggest drives of the year in the last minute against New England and the last minute against Carolina, they let both teams go down the field and score touchdowns, you know, uh, to beat the Saints, which is a big reason they didn't get 
uh, a home playoff game, didn't win the NFC South. So it wasn't quite as good as it looked, but I'm sort of shocked just how bad it is this year for that defense because they are lost. I mean lost, you know. So, he's a disaster. The guy's yeah. a disaster. Yeah. He's not, he's not a good coach. He's just living off his dad's name and Rex Ryan, who's who you could see is obviously not a good head coach either. He might be a good coordinator, but, you know, it's just – I don't know why they, why did the NFL, why the TV cameras got to keep showing a guy that's won one playoff game in eleven years with his defense? Because yeah, he's a clown, you know. He's like a, a jester. He's like someone to look at. Like he looks goofy and right because yeah. he's got the long hair yeah. and all that. I guess. Yeah, I want to go but back to so overrated. All the, the Ryan's are so overrated. The dad was overrated too. He had good defenses. Once he became a head coach, he never even won a playoff game. Yeah. Yeah, I want to go back to the quarterback thing one time because you probably have an interesting perspective on this, being a Dolphins fan. I don't think people realize, like, when you get a guy, and obviously Tony Romo isn't quite to this level. He's not necessarily uh, a Dan Marino or a Jim Kelly in Buffalo. It There's very rarely an Andrew Luck right after Peyton Manning. I mean, since Jim Kelly left, the Bills have only had one quarterback with even a winning record, and that was Doug Flutie. You know how hard it's been to replace Dan Marino in, in Miami, and every time a Saints game ends, the first thing I think is, wow, we're one game closer to not having Drew Brees anymore. Uh, it's just, it's such a difficult position, and I was saying this the other night, there's only, you only need 32 of them. Isn't it amazing that we can't even find 32 good people in the world to play quarterback in this league? That's true. You're right. You got a good point there. You know, and it's just like, with the Jets, it's like, okay, you know Geno Smith, isn't it? He's not going to just all of a sudden, you could tell, I mean, pretty much, you could tell he's not going to be E.J. Manuel, same boat. And yeah. I, I give Tannehill like a little, a notch above those two guys. He is, yep. And he hasn't like, played I quarterback. I think Tannehill's maybe like a six and a half, and they're sixes on a scale of one to ten. Romo's a seven, and then like a Phillip Rivers is an eight. Like a Rivers could take you to a Super Bowl, even though he makes mistakes and stuff like that. But just get rid of those guys. Like, after the season, you got to go right for a quarterback. Why are you going to wait three or four years? Just admit you made a mistake, it didn't work out, and try to draft another quarterback. Yeah, it, it's such a tough position. And I mean, if I was – no one's going to ask me to run a team, but if I did, I would probably draft one every year. It doesn't always have to be in the first round because we've seen guys like Tom Brady, obviously, in the sixth round, and he's not the only one who Russell you know, Wilson, Russell Kaepernick. Wilson, third round, Kaepernick, second round. Just get one, you know, every once in a while, every year, get one, or even sign an undrafted one, bring someone in. But that was a big mistake the Bills made. They went into training camp with EJ Manuel, Jeff Tool, who was an undrafted guy from last year, and Thad Lewis. You know, yep. that's who they brought into camp, and that's not exactly a heated quarterback battle there. You know what I no. mean? You know, so and I'm no, really Kyle Orton's not going to do anything for you. The guy doesn't even want to play football. He retired. You know, he's half in, half out. He just he got signed what in like July or something like that. Even later than he that. Yeah, he's, he's not going to do. I don't know why. You might. I mean, I know the head coach Marone or whatever his name is 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 fighting for his job up there with new ownership coming in and stuff. But you got to keep EJ Manuel and just give him the rest of the year. You might as well. You never know if the guy makes a turn. But you know, he's got to he's got to just go. Marone's got to think at the end of the year, all right, hey, I'm 8-8. Eight eight. You're not going to give me another year. Whoever new owners are going to, you know, the new owner when he takes over. Yeah. So I understand what he's doing. But um, I think you got to, you got to, with the Jets too, you finish out with Geno Smith this year. You finish out with E.J. Manuel in Buffalo. And Miami with Tannehill too. And, you know, the coach is saying, oh, I don't know who's starting. He's such an idiot. The, the Dolphins got no coach whatsoever. He's terrible. So you just give him this year and then you just go draft for next year. What are you going to do? 
Yeah. Yeah, and you hit it on the head with the ownership thing, you know, Terry Pagula who bought them, bought the Sabres a few years ago, came in, left the coach and general manager in position and took a ton of heat for it here. He's going to have a much shorter leash this time around. He's not going to make that mistake again. Uh, so I think that that is a huge part of it. Obviously, the plan wasn't to abort on, you know, this E.J. Manuel experiment four games into the year when they brought no one in at all after the first year. So, but Yeah, the Bills, you know, it, yeah, they just, they got to, He's got it. The Bills have never had 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 a good coach since Marv Levy. They always just hire these guys like who? Uh, all right, uh, you know these guys that are washed up, maybe coached a couple of years and got fired, and then they pick them up. And it's like you got to get a, just somebody a, a, a good solid coach in there. It always try, it seems like they're always trying to cut corners and save a few bucks. It also seems hire. it seems like when they try to go the young new coordinator route. They bring two or three of those in. They hire one of them, and the one they didn't hire ends up getting a job somewhere else, and he ends up being Sean Payton or ends up being, you know, Mike McCarthy or something like that. It's it just they haven't had a good hire, like you said, since Levy. Greg Williams is maybe the best coach that they've had since then, and he's a he's a defense guy. You know, yeah, he, he exactly. Never run know. The whole team. You know, and then, now you got Miami, who's like a bit, pretty big market, and nobody wants to coach there because you know the owner's such a such a fuck up. And it's such a disaster and doesn't know what he's doing. And, you know, no, you got to keep my shitty GM, but you could coach here, but, you know, keep my GM and all that stuff. He just, one dumb move after another, you know, so nobody wants to coach there. The Dolphin coach Philbin was their fifth choice. Four people, four other coaches turned him down before they gave, you know, Philbin the job. And he never even coached anywhere, even in high school. He was an offense coordinator in Green Bay, but he didn't even do the play calling. Right. McCarthy was doing a play calling. So it's like, that's what you're left with. So. You know, hopefully with this new owner coming in with the Bills, you know, you get an established coach in there and you got to get a quarterback. Look, you're not going to win, except for the Ravens with Trent Dilfer back in, what, 2000 with an unbelievable defense, which you can't have anymore because, because of the rules. You know, you can't even, you, you know, they changed the rules basically because Peyton Manning got his fucking ass kicked in the Super Bowl. Right. And the Seahawks were all over the receivers, and they're like, wait a minute, this is going to help our fantasy football. Our fantasy football fans are going to be disappointed. They're not going to get points. And I feel bad for Peyton Manning, so they changed the rules once again for Peyton Manning. So you can't have a dominant, barely have a dominant defense like the Ravens with a shitty quarterback. So you have to have a great quarterback to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, it it's certainly not like, you know, if you look back at the list, and I've done it before, and you look at the names who've won it, you know, it, it's the most. It's the absolute best point you can make. I mean, except for you know Brad Johnson won that one with the Tampa that year, right? Which, you know, another they, did, they had a great defense, defense. Then too. Yep, and Flacco, it'll happen like once every eight or nine years. It will happen where you can have a mediocre quarterback win a Super Bowl. But with the rule change and everything geared towards the offense, it's really tough these days. All right, uh, the sportscaster is pretty much finishing up with Jim Florentine here. We probably should have just started sports right away. I shouldn't have bothered asking about the other stuff, but I was personally curious, so sorry about that. Uh, it's at Mr. Okay. Jim Florentine on Twitter. Uh, you can find him on VH1 in February for that metal show. Uh, the comedy special, The Simple Man, look for that in a couple months. He's going to be in Rochester this weekend, the 3rd and the 4th. Uh, comedy Medal Mid- Midgets, the podcast, it usually comes out late Sunday nights. It's definitely up on Mondays. Uh, the latest one is Judas Priest. There was a really great one a couple weeks ago where Jim just talks about goofing off at uh, uh, landscaping jobs. It's a, it's a great podcast. Uh, anything else you want to get out there to everyone? 
you know, a lot, sometimes I, 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 you know, we bring people in. It's like, yeah, you know, people are going to listen. People are really going to listen to this one. We're lucky we have Mike Tarico and um, and Jeff passing on, so it should be a good one. Anything else you want to put out? Um, no, I have a YouTube channel. It's Jim. Just look up Jim Florentine. You know, I do these little rants on there. I was just in a sports bar in Texas before the Cowboy game last week, watching the early games, and you know. There was nine different guys in there with friggin' tablets or laptops checking their fantasy football stats, and it was driving me nuts. <laughs> I, 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 I'll admit, I play fantasy football. I love drafts. You know, draft day is just so fun. And then the last couple of years, I've been getting, as the season goes on, it just, it just wears on me for a lot of the things. Ten years ago, it was you and, and your buddies. You played. You had fun. And that was it. Now it's like you and your buddies play. Everyone's playing. It's on TV all the time. There's 10 different different analysts. Every station has one. Every broadcast of football is about it. And the worst thing is, is every Sunday I get four or five text messages. Why isn't Pierre Thomas getting more catches? What is Colston doing? Why don't the Saints do this on offense? And it's like, you know what? We're losing by 30 points to the Cowboys. I'm in a really pissed off mood. I don't care. Right. You know, yeah, you're not, you're not worrying about that. That, you know, you know what I mean? You're not worrying about how many wide is any caught. You know, you, if you have Colston as your wide receiver, but you have a chance for the Saints to win, but he catches no passes, what are you going to be rooting for? Oh, the, when I wake up every Sunday, my number one priority is the Saints winning. It, exactly. You yeah. don't care about that other stuff, I know. So, I, look, you know what? I mean, Maybe it's a younger thing, you know, you're younger. Uh, how old are you? Uh, 33. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm late 40s, so it's like, all right. So I just, you know, if I was, when I was, if I was 22 and watching games and they had fantasy football, who knows, I might have played it, but it's like, I don't know. I, I'll bet on games. I got no problem with that, but I won't bet, you know, I won't bet on the Patriots and root for them to win, you know what I mean, because they're in my division, but I'll bet on like a Packers, you know, Vikings game tonight or something like that, but I don't know. I just don't understand the whole checking stats every two seconds. Just wait to the end of the day. Yeah, and I don't want to come off as like a hypocrite because I do play. I don't want to be like, oh, he's yeah, out no, with, no, he's cool. out with Florentine. My, my nephew plays. Yeah. Just, look, every, a lot of people do play, but it's just, you know, it's not my thing. But I understand that it's a popular thing. And you know what? It helps It helps the league, helps people, you know, helps with the ratings and all that stuff. And there's no doubt that the drafts are really fun. Like, when there's not much sports going on in August, it's great to spend a Saturday afternoon in a bar with all your buddies cracking jokes and drinking and doing a draft. Like, right. that is really fun. But it is not fun to get a text message right after, you know, DeMarco Murray scores his second touchdown and my team's right, down yeah. 28. I, and, I know. and some guy's bitching that, you know, Kenny Stills isn't a bigger part enough of the offense today. It's like, well, I don't know what you want me to do about it. <laughs> but, I hear you. All right, Jim, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Uh, Mr. Jim Florentine, like I said, I'm Oh, let me make a prediction real quick. Sure. Like I did, you know, a a month ago when I did a podcast about the NFL, nothing, absolutely nothing will happen to Roger Goodell. While he will not lose his job, they might fine him like $500,000 for the whole Ray Rice thing. He'll never lose his job. He hired his own guy to investigate him. And with his two best friend owners overseeing the investigation. So what are the odds of something happening to Roger Goodell. The odds are so bad, especially after yesterday. I don't know if you heard about the DirecTV Sunday ticket deal. It got re-upped for eight years at over $1 billion a year. Of course. So the guy makes them too much money. They're Way not going to touch him. Yep. He's, you know, he's a shark. He, he, he just holds networks hostage. He holds uh, you know, the NFL network trying to get on every cable channel, told them they all need to come up with $3 a month, every subscriber to cable, you don't get our channel. And the cable companies are like, well, fuck you then. 
Okay, fine. You don't get our t- and then he's on TV. The fans want Thursday night games, so we're giving the fans that. Meanwhile, nobody could have, nobody saw the first like six years of the NFL Network and all the games we missed on a Thursday night because he's holding every cable. The the old woman, the eighty year old woman that lives by herself, was all of a sudden going to be charged three dollars more a month on her cable bill because of the NFL Network. A woman that's never going to watch that. Imagine if Lifetime came out with a new channel, and then all of a sudden your cable bill goes up three bucks a month, and you call a cable company. Why is it now eighty-seven dollars at eighty-four? Oh, there's a new Lifetime channel. <laughs> uh, we have to charge three dollars a month. You're like, yeah, but I don't watch that crap. I'm a guy. Sorry, the you know the the the, uh, the owner of the Lifetime channel said, look, you got to give us three bucks. So we're like, okay. I mean, that's ridiculous. So when you got a guy like that that will do that, will do that work, act like a mobster and hold people up, there's no way to get rid of that guy because the next guy that comes in, they actually, they'll, you know, obviously hire him, the owners. One, and he, they go, oh, this guy's a shark too. One day this guy might have some morals and go, we can't fuck over the fans anymore. We can't do it to him. I'm not going to do that. When they go, hey, charge him for this. Or to, and he goes, I can't do that. We, we can't fuck the fans over anymore. And then they're stuck with that guy. That's why Roger Goodell will stay. And even the government came around yesterday. The FCC lifted the, their blackout rules for sports. The NFL right away commented, we have no plans to change that at all. You know, so Of sp- course, I know. Right? Yeah, the, the, you know, so there's just, it's, yeah, nothing's going to happen to them. It, look, it pretty much already blew over. Yeah, pretty much. You know what I mean? Yep. Nobody's talking about it anymore. And they'll, they're going to release it. They're going to release the report on, like, Halloween when everyone's out trick-or-treating or Black Friday or two days before Christmas when everyone's Christmas shopping. And then on a Friday afternoon, slow news day, nobody's talking, everyone's home from work doing whatever, and that's when they'll release it. Yeah. I mean, I think the West Wing was where I found out about the Friday news dump. And, yeah. And then they've taken that to extremes now. I mean, you look at the last four or five big press – Press releases, they're coming out at 1 in the morning. That uh, that Vikings-Peterson, yeah. that was at one fifteen in the morning or something. I know, exactly. So that's what they're going to do with this. So I'm, this is what will happen. Roger Goodell uh, didn't do anything wrong, but he handled, he didn't handle a case right. He fined $500,000, and that money will go right to domestic violence program. And the woman in the NFL office that actually got the, the video but didn't give it to anyone else, Opened the package, looked at it, and, and left a voicemail. Okay, sure, we're going to believe that. And said, this is horrible. She's fired. And there was one other guy that knew she got the package but didn't want to know what was in it. He's uh, suspended for a month. There you go. That's it. That's exactly what's going to happen. And I, I would still, uh, the thing I always say, too, is like, well, what did they think happened? Like, why did they even need the video? Like, I don't, I don't understand. Well, uh, well even, if, all right, even if Roger Goodell didn't see the video, which he right. did. He did. Even if he, he did, did. he had the police report right, right. in front of him it, at, at that meeting with Ray Rice. It said exactly what happened. He hit her with a, with a closed fist and knocked her unconscious. What else do you need to know? Even if you didn't see the video, it's right in front of you with the police report. Yeah, it, they knew. They knew that the, Ray Rice's lawyer had that. Even if they said we couldn't get the video, they knew Ray Rice's lawyer had that. Because remember, he was talking like three weeks after it happened. He goes, "Well, let's you know, everybody's jumping to conclusions. Mm-hmm. You don't know what happened in that elevator. You know, I have the tape, and it was kind of, you know, he's trying to blame it on Ray Rice's wife or fiance. Right. So he. So you tell me that Goodell doesn't have the power to go to his lawyer. Hey, give me that tape. I need to see that tape, or I'm going to find um, Ray Rice is suspended for a year if you don't show me what's on there. I mean, come on. It's a joke. And, and when you have the Ravens owner and the GM in the room with Ray Rice and his wife making this decision, what, when does that happen? 
And I think TMZ said they got the video with one phone call. Of course, so, they right. did with one phone call. Of right. course, yeah. the NFL does. I mean, look, look what they do before the draft. You know, all these teams, what they do to research and all, all the background checks on all these players. They go to you know people that grew up with them, their neighbors. You know, from when they were a child. Like, how was this kid? They do all that investigative work. Where you're telling you couldn't get a tape and you couldn't look at it, and you had the police report right in front of you. Yeah, I think one of the players when this happened actually tweeted about how it's scary how much they know about you at those pre-draft interviews. You know how much work they do. I know one team got in trouble for questioning a guy about his mom being a lesbian, like things like that. Like it's unbelievable. But yeah, when they <laughs> no, that was, yeah that was well that was um, that was uh, what's his well Des Bryant um, Jeff Ireland the Dolphins GM asked him if his mom was a hooker. Okay, a that's what it was, right? Des Bryant, exactly. That too, yeah. yeah. Oh, so I, I know it's a joke, but you know it's a, they all just cover it up, and everyone looks the other way. But it is the that's, ultimate crack because every Sunday we got to be regardless. You know, I think that's what I said. I when I went to that Cowboy Stadium, I go, nobody cares what's going on. Everybody's in a good mood. Everybody, there's ninety thousand people here. Yeah. The sports bar was packed. You couldn't even get a table watching it. So it's never going to affect it. What's going on on the field? No, you know what you lose. They keep saying the NFL keeps saying forty five percent of women watch the NFL. Okay, she yeah, right. Okay, right. Yeah, it was ninety five percent guys in that sports bar. Uh, you know well, what I mean? So it's not, and, and, and how many how many percentage? Maybe a half a percent. Maybe ten people just said, "I'm not watching the NFL anymore." And then after the second week, they watched again. And everyone will have pink on this week, Jim. Yeah, great. I know. Pink month. Meanwhile, pink, yeah, pink month starts great. tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am gonna I am gonna be the spokesman for not donating a, a dime to that cause because well with the NFL because the NFL takes seventy five percent of that money. And then there, there's actually a documentary about that charity about yeah. it being a really bad charity as well. Of course, this so, is, Business Weekly last year broke down where that money goes. Okay, so twenty five percent the NFL takes right off the top. So Peyton Manning wears pink wristbands. They sell them for a grand on NFL.com or in the stadium the next week. The NFL takes 25% cut right off the top of the money. Now, to, now 50% goes to the retailer. And the retailer is either NFL.com or in the NFL stadiums. That's the only place right. they sell that stuff. Yeah. So that's basically the NFL because they all split that money. It gets thrown in a pot, and they all split it. So that's 75% right off the top the NFL takes. And now the Breast Cancer Awareness uh, Committee takes 17% for, you know, uh, whatever, uh, you know, just to cover costs. Well, I don't know what costs. All the you know I mean? $600,000 executives that the charity has. Are yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. You could fly to San Francisco to tell people that there's breast cancer out there. You could probably just send an email and stay home, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, so, and so only 8% actually goes to research out of that 100%. <laughs> what a what a great what a great charity the spirit of what charity. a racket right? yeah. what a racket and the and the NFL didn't just had no comment when that report came out last year because they're busted they're, they're I told you they're like mobsters but they're trying to be like politically correct and you can't do that you know what I mean like you either do one or the other just go don't worry about it don't ask questions or you know don't try to be they wanted women to watch a game because they put you know breast cancer awareness so guys who wear pink like that's really gonna that's insulting to a female that all of a sudden she's gonna walk by the TV and they're wearing pink and she goes oh I like football now <laughs> that'll that's hook insulting to yeah. a female that all of a sudden they're gonna like it because of a color yeah yikes <laughs> so, so, you know what if you want to donate to breast cancer awareness just go right to the website 
and click on the friggin' PayPal button and just donate right there. So 75% of that money doesn't go in the NFL's pocket. The greedy 32 owners that are billionaires. Yeah, with the internet now, there's so many great places where you can take your money. You know, there's there's actually sites, you know, medical, you know, where people post their stories and things like that. And yeah, probably buying, you know, a, a $600 mouth guard that, you know, Drew Brees wears on Sunday uh, to donate is probably not the best way. It's not the best way because they're, they're taking the money. Or you know what, if someone in your in your neighborhood's got cancer or something like that, go to the fundraiser or go donate there or something like that. Do it like that. Don't give the NFL one dime. They make enough money. They absolutely do. Jim, I, I feel bad because it's way more than I asked for at this point. We got talking there. Hope you enjoyed it. Really loved having you Absolutely, on. Absolutely, man. Yeah, it's, I just want to say this stuff again, too. It's at Mr. Jim Florentine on Twitter. The shows are at the Joke Factory in Rochester. It's this weekend, the 3rd and the 4th. Uh, not only people in Buffalo. Listen, you got some other shows coming up in, in the near future, too? Um, yeah, Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, right outside of Akron, October 16th through 18th. Beautiful. So you can catch Jim there as well. Thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Love having you on for a second time, and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon too. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. All right. I want to thank Mike Tirico. Jeff Passan and Jim Florentine for being on the podcast today. That's a monster show right there. That is nasty. Yeah. We were sort of patting ourselves on the back in the restaurant. You yeah. can tell us if you're listening, but I don't know anyone who has the resources that we do that's putting out weekly programming. I would be us. interested for someone that stumbled on our podcast, however they found it, retweet from somebody famous, something like that. Do they follow other podcasts that they kind of stumbled upon the same way? And if so, like... How do we stack up? Yeah, yeah. But you think about it. We got today's show, the show you just listened to, we have the uh, play-by-play, head play-by-play guy for Monday Night Football. You have the lead writer for Yahoo Sports Baseball. And you have a huge comedian in James Florentine. Yeah. So, ah, sweet show. Hope you liked it. Does uh, is Jeff aware that he's the OG? He is. All right. We laughed about it one time. Okay. Because the first time I said that to him, he laughed and was like, "No one's ever called me that." And I'm like, "Well, I don't want you to get too excited. It stands for original guest." <laughs> so we did get a laugh out of that. Uh, you can find his first appearance, the first ever appearance by anyone on the show, at www.sports-casters.com. Yeah, you have to go to the archive and scroll way down, all the way to the bottom. You can also uh, find iTunes, yeah. yeah, iTunes, Stitcher. You can email us to tell us how great we are, <laughs> sportscasters at gmail.com. You could even do it on Twitter. More people will see it that way, at sports underscore casters. Now, uh, this is the third week of Pick 4, oh, which is a returning uh, uh, you know, treat for everyone. And it returned just in time for us to go 2-2 two and two the first week. Then we had we didn't pick anything week two or or going into week three because I went into hiding. Yes. Uh, and then we picked last week and we both went one and three. Yeah. I lost on the Redskins, the Saints, and the Vikings, and I won on the Ravens. You also won on the Ravens. Lost on the Bills. Also lost on the Saints. Yep. Lost on the Bills and lost on the Patriots. 
And it's funny, too, because when we were talking about the Patriots. Yeah, you nailed that. And your pick, I'm like, this is either going to work out for you or you're going to never want to pick them again. Yep. So and that sort of seems to be what happened. So uh, start with game of the week. Okay, the game of the week this week is the 3-0 and Arizona Cardinals traveling to Denver, where the Broncos are 7.5-point favorites. Give me the home team. I took all road teams last week. Didn't work out very well for me. I'm almost surprised this isn't a bigger line. Uh, both teams coming off a bye, so it's not like there's an advantage there for the Cardinals. I know Arizona's 3-0. and I know they're a good team. I just don't think they're in the Broncos league yet. Yeah, I think that the Cardinals being 3-0 and gave us this line. At yeah. this price, you know, I think they're two and one or one and two or something like that. Obviously, it's going to be a little higher, and I think this is pretty good value against the Broncos. Peyton Manning lines are always inflated because the public likes to bet with Peyton Manning, so this is a good price. I like the Broncos at minus seven and a half as well. Uh, I think that's a pretty pretty decent place to start. All right, my home team game this week, or not the home team, but uh, the hometown team here. The the Bills are on the road at the Lions. I'm going to get this pick wrong every single week probably for the rest of the season. So whatever I pick in the Bills game, go the other way. I probably would have taken the Lions minus the seven had the Bills not made the quarterback change. I, I don't know that he's going to be way better or anything like that, but I think they keep it closer than seven even if they don't win it. So I'll take the Bills on the road in the bet I will lose every week. Yeah, I've always prided myself on having a really good read on my team in general. Yeah, I'm 0-2 with my team so far since we've been doing this. And I might go 0-3 because, listen, if you read my tweets, if you <laughs> talk to me at all, you'll know I'm not a big fan of this Saints team particularly so far this year. But I still have to think that there's enough talent and pride and enough something to to be able to cover 10 against Tampa. This is another one, probably if we win one of those other games, it might be 14. Sure. Or if Tampa doesn't find a way to scratch out a victory at the very last minute in, in Pittsburgh last week. But I guess... I'm going to take the Saints minus 10, but I'm certainly not as sure as I normally am or think I am about them. We talked about this a little bit off here, but to jump on something real different really quickly, uh, we're both kind of down on our teams after last week. But that said, they both play in what we all of a sudden think are the worst divisions in their respective conferences. Right, so, we talked about that at dinner too, that yeah. it's not over for either of no, them. No, absolutely not. Yeah. So as down as we are, watch, they both come out with big wins next week and we'll be right back on the, on the bandwagon there. Uh, my primetime game this week is Seattle at Washington, and I guess I'm going on the road again here. Seattle's playing in Washington, and they are 7.5-point favorites. And this, to me, feels way too low, too. I don't know what Washington has shown other than being at home here, I guess. They got smoked by a team that most people don't think are that good in the Giants last week. I don't know why they think, even if Seattle has to travel, I know I know, West Coast team traveling east, but they're coming off a bye. I, this seems to me like the biggest gimme of the week. So don't take any money and run to the... <laughs> run to the bookies with it. 
because uh, my record hasn't been very good. But this one just seems the most wrong to me. I, I'll take Seattle minus 7.5 all day. I don't know how Washington scores on Seattle. Uh, another th- one thing that I love is blowouts on Thursday night. I was on the wrong side with my pick last week, but I wasn't necessarily wrong with my logic. <laughs> uh, and they haven't been good games. And they haven't been good games. And I personally not a big Christian Ponder fan. I, yeah, I almost went with this game too. Yeah. Uh, you know, call me crazy. I, I don't love Christian Ponder. I don't love him on the road. And uh, I, I, I think the opposite about Aaron Rodgers. I think he's <laughs> pretty decent at home. Nine points is manageable. Uh, it's just, you know, any two-score game really is going to win it for me. Sure. So I love the Packers on Thursday night. Uh, minus nine against the Vikings. My random game this week... Another game that maybe the line is suckering me in. And I mean, I guess the random game, since we're picking it ourselves, should be the one we're the most sure about. I'm not sure how. We our... both got it right last week. I yeah, think. I'm not sure how. Oh, no, gonna... that was the game of the week we both got right last week. Oh, okay. But my random game this week, again, I'm going on the road. Uh, I guess I'm a sucker for that. But the Panthers just had a fairly embarrassing showing. And now they're playing the Bears, who have been really good. Uh, two and a half points. I don't know where the Panthers are going to get offense from. Cam Newton hasn't been great. They've only got one receiver in there, and he's a rookie. And their running backs, I think I'm in the running to be in their in their running backfield right now. They're signing guys off the street, off their practice squad, wherever they can find them because they're just hurting. So I don't know how the Panthers keep up in this game. And their defense doesn't seem to be what it was last year even. So I'll take the Bears. I I might have read that wrong. I, I'm getting two and a half points with the Bears here. So I'll I'll take the Bears plus points on the road all day against the Panthers. Yeah, I, I'm I'm on that one as well. I was I would have thought this line would be Bears minus three and it's almost Panthers plus three. Because of the home game. You right. know, so I was all about it. Uh, I'll take the Bears for sure here. Minus two and a half. I won on the Panthers last week. I don't like the Panthers to begin with. They got a lot of injuries. I don't know if it's a great coach or not. He had a good run at the end of last year. But things are going well for the Bears after that game against the Bills. And uh, they they won against the Jets on Monday night. Extra day to prepare, whatever. Uh, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take the Bears, you know, plus the two and a half over the Panthers. Uh, on Sunday, so I have. Oh, we uh, picked the same game. That's yeah, I have the Bears, uh, the Broncos, the Saints, and the Packers. I have the Broncos, the Bills, the Seahawks, and the Bears. So hopefully we can uh, do a little bit better with our record this week. And full disclosure, I'm playing this song for my wife's birthday. Her birthday is this Sunday. Liar, pussy. <laughs> and uh, she's not going to hear it, so I don't know why I'm doing it. But uh, this one's for her. <laughs> 